All right, everybody, bring it in. You know what that sound is? You know what that sound is? That sound is 100 episodes of the read option. All three of us, bottle of champagne. Drink it in. It always goes down smooth. It always. See, Scotty's got the flute or at least the glass. Oh, and Vito does too. I guess I'm going to be the only one just drinking straight from the bottle. But that, that we're here. A hundred episodes. This is also the first episode on YouTube. So for the first time, Entry mark. you guys are going to get a chance to watch us, myself, Vito, Scotty. We're all wearing our makeshift outfits. I got a nice red blazer on for those listening on the podcast. A little fancy on the inside. Scotty's got the tie. Vito's got a great old school shirt with the blazer on top. This is huge, guys. This is huge. Um, I've been trying to downplay it because, you know, it's podcasting. You don't want to, you know, who cares about your podcast, whatever. I, as I was driving home from work today, reflecting, we are a, over a year in. We're 100 episodes in. We have better numbers than we've ever had. We have more listeners than we've ever had. And I just got overwhelmed with just excitement and pride. And we have a national championship game tonight. It's 530 on Monday, April 4th that we're recording this. We have an amazing show, arguably our best podcast. We have guests lined up for the post 100 mark that you guys cannot. I'm telling you, you just you'll be so excited to get to hear some of those interviews and hear some of the people we have on. This feels like the dawning of a new day for this podcast that we, we we've grown up. We went from being just a small group of friends, you know, getting on Zoom, doing a podcast during a pandemic for our fantasy football league to 100 episodes in to a real freaking podcast we have national championship we have a master's week cut this week i'm just oh master's week baby i'm, I'm oh, overwhelmed doctor. i'm overwhelmed with everything so boys the whole crew is back together for the first time in a couple of weeks how are you both doing it's so wonderful to see you all and to celebrate with you guys and also to have one hell of a podcast i'm good century mark we got the wilt chamberlain amount of points he scored in a game in 1962 in this podcast, 100 episodes, and I just thank you so much for, for everybody who's sticking with us as we continue to grow and and uh, and talk ball and, and sports and whatever the hell else we care about. Uh, Vito, how, how's things on, uh, on – uh, are you in Philly now? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm in Philly. I've been, okay. I've been around a little bit. I uh, went to Vegas, had a great-ass time, uh, bachelor party, then some work stuff, then – um, yeah, I don't know. Cleveland, um, DC. I've just been traveling a lot, but having a lot of fun. Um, and dude, I cannot wait to be back here talking sports with you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. And in addition to all the crazy travel and all this crazy stuff, we've had a crazy mark. Oh, there you go. Jeff's holding up the, the secret 100 sign. I love that. The Wilt Chamberlain drawn on one backwards because zoom mirrors everything. Yeah. No, but but speaking to 100, man, this is a huge deal. And I, I think back to when we started this and it started in COVID, um, and then we started taking it pretty seriously and, and moving to a regular occurrence. Listen, this this podcast is one of the most fun things that we have to do and, and a really great product. And Jeff, I, I just want to take a minute and say thanks, man, because for me and Scotty's perspective, we hop in and out and we're able to because you keep it going every week. So cheers to you, Jeff, sir, and hey. keeping this thing, the quality that it is and the fun that it is. It, it doesn't happen without all of us guys. It, it really doesn't. Um, you know, what, anytime you sometimes guys are, it does. Any, I mean, sometimes it literally <laughs> has to, yeah. like we don't have any other choice, but this was, 
you know, like all of our number, all the episodes where all of us are together are our biggest episodes, you know, the ones that have gotten bigger numbers and stuff. It's, it's with all of us. So, and, and I'll, I'll say this and not to get too sentimental too early, but we had a conversation in one of those times where I was having a rough mental health stretch and you guys were like, Hey, like we do this because we believe in you and we believe in this and this is your career and this is what we want you to do. And, and that's, I keep that with me all the time. I remember that day. I remember that conversation. And it, again, none of this happens without you guys. I appreciate the words, but more importantly, none of this also happens without the listeners and the people who support us sung bringing Scott's dinner down half the time oh, yeah. we're on here and he's eating in the middle. Uh, and you'll hopefully again, you'll get a chance to see that now that we're on YouTube officially <laughs> Might even go those. back through the archives and find our, our taste test from the, the Eats of the week in the fall. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we'll have to do I a mean, new segment. <laughs> yeah. Eats of the week. What's yeah, Scott what did, eating for dinner today? What did song like bring that. Scott for dinner today? Um, <laughs> excuse me. I'm, I'm trying to drink out of a bottle and then, you know, think about podcasting here at the same time. But this all, you know, again, it's been so much fun. It's gotten us through a lot of this pandemic. It's gotten us, the three of us closer together. And uh, it's created a bunch of memories that we've also been able to have people along for the way and hopefully occasionally teach them or, or help them better understand some things about football. If not, if nothing else, just to, to entertain them on their commutes during their days when they need something. So uh, with all that being said and all of the one year stuff out of the way or 100th episode, I should say, uh, we have some sports to talk about, including arguably one of the greatest basketball games and most impactful basketball games in college basketball history uh, and, and definitely in my lifetime, a tremendous final four setting up a phenomenal national championship. We are going to do a little bit of time travel on this. I'm going to explain to you guys now. And then hopefully once you hear it, it'll make sense. We are recording this now before the game. It's 530 uh, PM Eastern time, whatever. Once tip off goes, we're going to be done recording except after the game. We're all going to get back on. We're going to talk national champion who won because we don't want to wait until Friday's pod to get you guys our reaction to the national championship. I think for football, we we push the date back to Tuesday, but with Vito adjusting his travel schedule to be here today, we're going to, we're going to stick it out. We're going to go on the midnight grind. And then we're also going to wrap up the pod with uh, a new game that we're going to start trying to introduce here on the pod, as well as, just rapid fire, random life shit. Cause I've just this backlog of stuff. So all that's going to re get recorded after the game tonight, but before then, we're except hit on the West coast, except on the West coast. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to hit the uh, final four recap. Like I said, preview the game, a uh, big NFL trade with only draft picks involved, involving my Philadelphia Eagles, which is going to be a ton of fun to kind of dive through because I think it says a lot about both what the saints are doing this year, as well as what the Eagles mindset is moving forward and then we're going to do our masters preview here and i we we are loaded with betting the masters majors in general are my favorite things to gamble on in sports i'm telling you right now you can win a lot of money with your top 20s your top 10s your top five sprinkle a little bit around you're gonna have a great time doing that so that's everything we got in here it's going to be a jam-packed most likely two hours plus so hang tight or switch us to 1.5 if you need to all right Final four. Uh, we're going to start with UNC Duke, and then we'll touch on Kansas Villanova in the back end because that game was slightly less uh, impactful. UNC Duke, what an unbelievable game. Back and forth. Duke bodied them in the paint. Bencharo was was living it, lighting it up in the first half, had his way physically with UNC in the interior. 
But what I love about this UNC team and what this whole run that they've been on uh, has, has kind of shown you is this team's ability to just scratch and claw and fight and stay in games. Even you go back to the Baylor game in round two when they blew a 25-point lead and all of a sudden they're in overtime against the reigning champs. And yet UNC came out and dominated the overtime. This run for UNC, I think, will go down as one of the all-time runs, especially if they end up winning. This will be in the conversation for one of the best runs through an NCAA tournament, especially when you look at the teams that they beat along the way. So shout out to North Carolina. But before we can get into any more about the Tar Heels, we do have to hit on Coach K. Because if you if you love Coach K, Saturday night was was a sad night for you. If you're a Duke fan, it was a sad night for you. If you are literally anybody else in college basketball, it was an awesome night. Because Coach K will go down as one of the most polarizing and interesting characters in the history of collegiate sports and arguably sports as a whole. He's capping off an unbelievable run. And for as much fun as it is to, to poke at Coach K, I know the Barstool guys have been going nuts, you know, going after Coach K. And there's plenty of things to criticize him about. You have to give props to an all-time great. And so we're going to do that on this pod as well as get a couple of jokes in here. Um, Scotty, we'll start with you. Coach K's run at Duke, going all the way back to the 80s, all the way up until now, five national championships, some of the most memorable teams and players in college basketball history. What will his legacy living on mean? And now that he's going to be gone, what does the future of Duke basketball kind of look like? It's a laundry list of, of players, really, when you think about it, and programs that he, that he built. I mean, that entire program was built on Coach K, so... Uh, it's rare to see that. I mean, even like Roy Williams took over, it was Dean's program, right, at North Carolina. Uh, same thing at Kansas. Bill Self took over for, for Larry Brown. It was that, that was their program. So, but at Duke, it was very different. It was just Coach K, and he built that entire program. He made Duke matter. He made college basketball matter, I think, because when Duke started – winning and, and becoming dynastic as, as they have been over the last 30 years of, of uh, coach K's tenure. I, I, I dare say that that college basketball was on the, on the fringes of, of a sports watcher society that he made the tournament matter. He grew the game and, and for better or for worse uh, made Duke better because of it too. So uh, it, it's, it's going to be a large void to fill. I know we talked about those kinds of voids last year when Roy Williams retired from North Carolina, but this is, uh, I feel like something completely different. Uh, and, and for someone who, who uh, was as groundbreaking and, uh, and to a degree as polarizing, uh, as coach K was in the Duke program, uh, I, I think it, it will be a, a much larger void that, that needs filled than, uh, than, uh, any previous one we've talked about. I don't know, man. I think on my take, like for me, seeing him leave basketball is sad. I'm not a huge fan, but he's in college, right? And sports in general, you see flashes of players, but in football, you get to know him over a couple of years and the great ones leave three years in and basketball. It's completely different. The cycle of players is so much faster. It's hard to get a four year starter, right? Like that's rare. I think where I'm going with this is that the figure that, Coach K was mattered to his sport so much more than it does to a lot of other folks. Mm -hmm. And for me as a casual fan, he is one of the, the people that I gravitate towards. And I know like when I watch Duke basketball, like I know that face, I know his teams 
like, yes, the players change, but I know they're going to be tough and they're going to play well. And like, it's, it's at least going to be a game where I can see someone like fun to watch and he's going to get good recruits. So for me, seeing him leave is like a sad moment for me. I'm not even a Duke fan, but I personally was, it was a sadder moment than I thought I would have as a casual fan, I guess is what I'm saying. I thought I wouldn't care. And I was like, damn, like this sucks. I really wish he was at least go to the finals or come around next year. Like I just wanted the best for him to finish out because I personally, you know, he's, he's a goat and like, he's just amazing at what he does and has done it for so long. You just hope that they go out on top or have some perfect ending, but it's never perfect. Even the perfect endings, you wish you could play one more year or coach one more year. So yeah. I don't know, but for me, that, that was the, my like viewpoint on it from, I guess, a more casual college basketball fan. The storylines were all there too. Like the, the, it was a perfect storybook. Uh, and, but you can't lose like that to your arch rival. Oh man. Give uh, all the credit the, though. In the spot. I no, no, no. I'm not yeah. discrediting North Carolina. No, no, I know all. you're not. Yeah. But, but like you cannot lose if there was, that was St. Peter's like that loss does not hurt as much. Like, like that sucks. Your well, career's over in the final part, right? four. No, but you lost to losing to a lost 15 to, seed in yeah, the final 15. four. No, but the, another but the narrative would no, have been about no. St. Peter's. It wouldn't have been about Coach K lost to St. Peter's. The narrative would have been the story that the Cinderella made it to the to the final. They upset the Coach K. But I, yeah. I think this is the point, though. I think for me, what's crazy about it is that that had like you're saying the storybook was written that okay, you lose in your final home game to North Carolina, but you have a chance to beat them in the final four and then go on and win win a championship or at least make it to the final as coach K and like, yeah. like get to the last game of the season. Wow. And the fact that they came back and beat them again is like, dude, UNC fans must be having so much fucking oh, fun right now. North Carolina has won the rivalry. It's over. It's, it's done. Like, you, you beat it's done. Your, They're always have loss, right. Yeah. They were his first loss and there was last loss. And I, there's something poetically just about wrapping that up. And, and, and as great as Duke has been, you're right. Like just the fact that they, beat him at home they beat him in his last his last home game coach k's they beat coach k in his last game period like that's just something to the know like that's got to bother you so much that your rival did that like for yeah. me that's enough to be like i'm coming back no fuck no i'm not leaving out like that it's over it's yeah. from the top row but he can't unretire like tom brady right or can well, he i don't know and, and he especially can't because he just did this freaking tour where everybody yeah. you know sucked them off for the last year you know and like look i, I don't want to get into the negative stuff with k yet and we'll get to there in a second. I want to stay positive here because to me, Coach K deserves an insane amount of credit for being one of the most significant people in the history of the NCAA. That you, mm -hmm. you know, it's the yeah. cliche, right? You can't write the history of college athletics without this person. That's mm -hmm. how it kind of feels, right? You can, but you can't. He's he was that significant and means that much to the sport as a whole that you have to give him his props, right? The thing about Coach K that has honestly impressed me the most about his whole tenure is that when he started, right, he started, he went to Army at West Point, mm -hmm. played, was a disciple of Bobby Knight, right? He is of the Bobby Knight coaching tree. He was a player for him, and he was as old school as old school gets. You think about those 80s and 90s teams, even like Jay Billis, like when he was early there, like the whole idea was you're going to Duke because Duke's an amazing school. You're going to come here. You're going to get a four-year education. You're going to graduate. And then if you're good enough to go play in the NBA, you can go and do that. And that was what the entire reputation of Duke basketball was about. It was about going there student first 
and it was playing Duke basketball. It was cohesiveness. It was experience. You always had seniors. You always had the upperclassmen that would teach the younger guys. And it was that way for 20 plus years, the 30 plus years, honestly, until John Calipari decided we're going to change how we do things here. And we're going to, we're going to go into the one and done. And coach K went, well, I was the best at building school, my program this way. When I'm going to become the best at building my program a different way. And he out, he guys like he out one and done. Yeah. He out one and done Calipari, the guy who created it. And it, that moment to, to now where Calipari isn't a one and done guy anymore. He has, he's more in the transfer portal. He'll pull in some older guys, but Calipari basically had to stop because of that year. You just alluded to where it was Zion, RJ Barrett, RJ Barrett. And, and Cam Reddish who were one, two, and three in the recruiting rankings and coach K got them all. And haters are going to say, all right, but they did it illegally. They paid them all. All right, fine. Whatever you want to say that. Sure. But so was Cal. And so was everybody in college basketball at that time anyway. So it was relatively even playing field. Coach K just had the, you know, he had the, the reputation, right? He, he had that kind of gravitas to him. In addition to the fact that he revived USA basketball. When Coach K took over USA basketball, they had lost to Argentina in the gold medal game, right? Losing to Art and that great, like Manu Ginobili was on that team. They had some good players, but in 2004, USA yeah. basketball yeah. became a joke because nobody cared about it. And Coach K went in and he took Kobe and he took a young LeBron and a young KD and he took all of these guys together. And in 2008, they absolutely wiped the floor with everybody. God, that was so fun. Yeah. I know we talk about the 1992 dream team and that team's oh, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. it was, yeah. But the 08 team special. arguably might be better when you look at yeah. who was on that team and what they've done since then. And Coach K deserves all of the credit for that. You know, every time you hear these guys who never played in college, LeBron, Kobe, these guys who have said in the past, if I'd gone to college, I would have played at Duke. And a, a huge reason of that is because of Coach K. And his yep. adaptability, his growth, the self-awareness, the understanding of it, you know, people talk about all the time, we need a commissioner for college football. We need a commissioner for college basketball. Coach K actually should be that because he yes. has the experience necessary to, he knows how they work. No shot against the presidents or anything, but they don't understand how complicated of a business the NCAA and, and sports as a whole in college athletics has turned into. And Coach K knows it perfectly. Nick Saban knows it. Like if Saban retired, mm-hmm. I would say yeah. the same thing about him for college football. And Absolutely. I think so. You have to give Coach K credit for that. Now, with all that being said, he apps like Roy Williams. We, Scotty, you and I sat on this pod. It was almost like an emergency pod or whatever. It broke right before we were recording about a year ago. It might have been a little less than a year ago when Roy Williams retired. And he retired. He hired Hubert Day or he brought on Hubert Davis, a former player. He had a lovely send off. He didn't tell anybody. He didn't go on this year-long tour so everybody could tell him how great he was. He genuinely never made it about himself. The thing I'll never be able to stomach with Coach K is that he does make it about himself a lot. If he has – if they lose – there was a couple of games that he lost, you know, and he would go back and say, oh, well, you know, my my back was hurting me or I wasn't feeling well that day. As a coach, he's making these excuses, right? He he was so egotistically driven through a lot of this, especially in the later parts of his years – I had no sympathy when they lost. I was actively rooting for North Carolina to end Coach K's career in a way that you said, Scotty, for will forever put North Carolina ahead of Duke because yeah. there is nothing in forever that any Duke fan can say 
unless they win every game against them for the next 10 years. Oh, no. I don't think even that matters. I think you got to beat them in a national championship. That's the only way that gets done. It, it might be. Ever. It, it honestly I, and, might be. And, and look, I think a lot of what you're saying, the points about about uh, the, the egotistical uh, nature of, of Coach K making it about himself, I think that's where a lot of people put – you know, plant their flag in this rivalry is like, uh, I either like Duke, I watch the players uh, that I like because they get the best talent and they're a really mm-hmm. electric team. And I like the way that, that coach K teaches them or uh, you're North Carolina and you're like all about the, the, the players. And, 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 and it, it, the point I'm making is that like coach K made Duke make you think that, Duke is better than everyone. Like there's the, that air of that of the school, let alone the the basketball program. It's the like, Yankees, we think right? we're better than you, it's and we Yankees, know we're better. Cowboys, than you. Yeah. Duke, like it's in that that grouping yeah. of schools. And, and I, I love. What... I view it a little differently. I, okay. I just think that like Coach K is a guy who I, I I think because of his background, I heard him speak once, and it was. Um, it was a combined thing, but the, the point is, is there, there's some other coaches that were speaking and I'll never forget. Like it was, it was crazy. It was him and Joe Paterno hmm. and they were talking, this is like in 2010 about like what it means to be long, like long lasting success in a college sport. And they were different and they were going back and forth. And I think what I took away from that the most was like how much he did emphasize players and and yes it may not come through all the time and he probably does have some egotistical side i mean i know if i were in his spot i would i wish i wouldn't but that's just the the god's honest truth uh and all of them have that by the way everyone i think does you're at that level right it's it's there's no you're you're, people come to the school who you've never met and say i came here because of you like we don't get to that level without having that though right exactly you have to believe in yourself like yes you are better than everyone to get there and i think to your guys's point is that like depending on how you interpret that message i think is either like he wants his team to believe they're the best and like go out and perform that way or you take it definitely as like which i totally understand the other side of like this is way too much dude shut up like you know what i mean like there's there's a point in every fan where you have a coach and your friends like i love that guy and you're like no, dude, hell no. That guy sucks because of A, B, C, and D, and they're all personality traits. And like, you know what I mean? And like, I, I yeah. just totally get it. It's just funny though, without a doubt, like I fall on the side, I think as, again, a more casual fan of like, man, I, I think no matter what, um, the, the few times I heard him speak that were like planned or published, he was very much about players and everything like that. But I haven't seen him a lot directly after a loss, which is probably where you're going to show a lot more of your colors and emotional points and, and right to his credit like in the press conference i actually thought he handled the press conference great he was joking around with the media it was it was more light-hearted but there's moments like do you remember last year i think it was last year it might have been two years ago he like scalded a student reporter and yeah. was like this is Wait, not how you, you mentioned it. Not yeah. and it was like a totally fair valid question and he embarrassed a student reporter on a zoom in front of, like that's the kind of shit with him that he does yeah. and gets away with because he is coach k and then God. slowly over time, you think, oh, yeah, it's Coach K. It's great. Casual fits. Oh, once a year, we see Duke. You see Coach K if you're only watching around then. I, I don't want to take away anything from what he's accomplished. But to say, all, to say like, in the game that they lost, oh, this is all about the kids. This is all about the kids, right? And, and he says that over and over and over again. But if it really was, then you wouldn't have had this year. 
right? You, you know, Roy Williams was around North Carolina this year to help Hubert Davis along, but it was his team. And he picked the guy that he wanted and he said, Hey, Hubert, this is going to be your team. I'm here as a resource, but this is your team. Run it how you want. Coach K hand select hand selected the coach that he wanted, John Shire, which actually wasn't the coach in waiting that the university wanted to hire, who was a totally different person. And Coach K over really yes. Oh, and, that's fucking wild. I and on top that. of it, like, yeah. So this is the stuff where it's like I, I don't want to be. Hey, this this career great just ended, and we do this too when people die, like. If a celebrity dies, but it has like baggage, you'll see people on Twitter immediately jump on and be like, well, this person was a huge piece of shit. I'm like, okay, maybe, but can we just like pump the brakes for a second? You know, yeah. unless we're talking about a dictator here, I don't yeah. think the first thing we have to say after somebody dies is, oh my God, what a, what a jerk this person was, right? But. <laughs> but, but in this case where we're talking about a guy retiring, <laughs> yeah, I think both can be in, I think you can celebrate bro, both. I think it's fair to criticize him and say that, it's hypocritical for him to have said all year, it's about the kids, it's about the kids, it's about the kids. But in reality, he wanted to send up. He wanted people to give him the adulation. And you know what? We're sitting here celebrating 100 episodes of a podcast that doesn't have some massive following. So I get it. I get wanting to feel like, you know what? What I did, what, I, what we've accomplished, even something as insignificant as what we've done here compared to the unbelievable career of Coach K, I do get that. But it's also fair to criticize. You know, I think both can be true. And it can be. It doesn't have to be all good or all bad. We live in a gray world. And exactly. I think the more people realize that and realize like there's a lot of great here. Just you don't need to emulate everything about one person. 100%. That's never a good idea. <laughs> 100%. So shout out Coach K. Have a wonderful retirement. I cannot wait to not see you on the sidelines in the future, if I'm just being honest. And the, you know what? Here's the last nice thing I'll say about Coach K before we move on. Credit to him. Because it only took him to, what, age 74 to stop dyeing his hair pitch black. And now he just does, like, touch of gray instead. So good for you, Coach K. Good for you. Uh, enjoy, up, Coach. Enjoy so. retirement. Um, all right. UNC, though, yeah. amazing run. I want to add some context to this. Because thinking back, in the, in, in the course of NCAA history, the lowest seed to ever win a national title was 2000 and, or sorry, 2000, 1985. It was uh, Villanova with Raleigh Massimino against Georgetown. They were an eight seed. All right. A couple years before that, NC State, Jimmy V. We are, Everybody loves Jimmy V, right? The v Foundation. They were a six seed when they won in 1983. Since then, the next closest we've had, and we're going all the way back to 1985, was Butler in 2010 when they were a five seed. Ooh. So for historical what was, con- wait, wait, what was UConn that year that, that they made that Ooh. run? I thought they were a seven. I don't think we'll do get Zach Parker on it. We'll get Zach Zach's, Parker's on this stuff. S- <laughs> shout out to Zach Parker. He's our stats and info guy. And info. He doesn't like to pop up on the zoom all that much. He's a little self-conscious about how he looks, but you know, Hey, I get it. Not everyone wants to be seen. Some people are behind the scenes guys. Uh, UConn, I think was a six seed that year. So you're right. I might've missed them as well. Um, that's going to be my guess. I'm going to say six or a four. Regardless, though, we're talking about elite level company uh, and what this UNC team is on pace to do. The other thing about this run that UNC's done is they took down the defending national champions and one of the best programs in college basketball in Baylor. They then beat UCLA, right? Another blue blood who had a really good team and a really good, and they actually had to fight back in that game against mm-hmm. Mick Cronin's squad. Great head coach. They knock out the Cinderella story, cold-blooded, absolutely beat the doors off of St. Peter's, and now 
they're beating the crap out of their, they just beat the crap out of their rival in Duke on Saturday night, setting up a, a matchup with Kansas, who is another blue blood. Who These guys on this UNC's team, their old coach, Roy Williams, started his coaching career at the highest level with Kansas, won a national title with Kansas, had an unbelievable run with the Jayhawks. So this is a little bit of the Roy Williams Bowl, Roy Williams championship game here. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a pretty remarkable run. And even if, uh, did do we did Zach get what we have here, Vita? Yeah. yeah, I got Zach just hit me up. He said they're a seven seed. Seven seed, um, okay. UConn was a seven seed in 2014. There we go. So 2014 UConn added to that list as well. But we're talking about since 1983, we have a six seed in 83, an eight seed in 85, a five seed who lost in 2010, and then a seven seed who won it all. in what was one of the weirdest and worst uh, national championship and just kind of NCAA tournaments of all time uh, with UConn. And I believe that was Kevin Ollie was the head coach at, yes. of the, uh, the Huskies at the, the time. Napier. Yep. So this is truly elite company if UNC is going to be able to pull it off. Now, it yeah. doesn't feel like it has that same gravity, A, because of the significance of the game against Duke, but B, because it's UNC. They're a blue blood, right? They're like arguably the blue blood. They're up there in the top three. And it doesn't, it's like, oh, of course, North Carolina's in there. They're a freaking eight seed. And well, if you watch well, this team in the regular season compared to what they are now, they are such totally different teams. Yeah, 100%. They got the doors blown off them by Kentucky in December, like by 30. Uh, also by lost... 20 to Duke as well the first time. Yeah, first time they lost to Miami. They lost to Wake Forest. They lost to Notre Dame. Uh, and, and like and they lost to Pitt too. And a slow start. And, and for first-year coach Hubert Davis to be able to be like, look, this is not North Carolina basketball. Uh for the way that he rallied to get them to the, the conference title game, even uh, in, in the ACC uh, losing to Virginia tech uh, uh, go Hokies. Uh, but, but to get them to that point after the, the teams that they had lost to along the way, just a stellar job. And like, obviously he has some prime talent. Um, you know, I'm not sure how many guys he lost when, uh, when, Roy Williams said he was going to retire, but yeah, they lost imagine... a couple guys to the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I had thought. But you know, for, for the fact that he had the talent around him and the guys willing to buy in uh, to, to the philosophy that he's bringing to Carolina basketball, uh, just, it's just an unbelievable job by Hubert Davis and nothing but, but credit to, to him and his staff. First year head coach. There's only been one to ever win the national championship in their first year. I believe it was, uh, something Phillips. I might have that. I might have the wrong. We might need Zach to get back on that in a second. Here. Zach's on it. Um, but uh, that is, is a pretty remarkable thing. Right. And I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, I had no idea what to expect with Hubert Davis. Uh, you know, he, we knew him from college game day. He was on with Reese Davis. He was on with those guys for a long time. You know, and Jay Billis, he was there. He was one of those key guys. He had a good N uh, NBA career. I think he played about eight to 10 years, something like that in the NBA he was never an all-star. But what he is, is he's a quintessential North Carolina guy. He's a quintessential Tar Heel. He understood what that culture is. And again, culture is a buzzword. We always talk about new head coaches and in all sports. Oh, we got to come in and implement a culture. Well, cultures are something that develop over years and years and years. And when we're talking about blue blood programs, especially something like North Carolina, some place that had Dean Smith, right? And then Roy, Roy Williams, and they had a couple coaches in between there. But 
we're, we're talking about a history and a heritage with that team and that program that has lasted 60, 70, 80 years, however long the Jordan. program's been around. I mean, yeah, Michael Jordan, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's the home of the greatest basketball player of all time. So I, I can't speak highly enough about the job Hubert Davis has done. And what really sold it home to me was the way he acts in in-game interviews. Right. We, we see coaches, the Lane Kiffins, get your popcorn ready. We get, you know, we've seen stuff like that over He's over so time. raw. He's so like very personal, it's, like a, it, an average guy. He cut off Tracy Wolfson before she even finished her set or her, um, her question in the in-game interview. You hear him talk about it after the game. And that quote, I brought it up last week with you and me, Scotty, but that quote from him where he said, there's three kinds of people in the world, those who don't want to fight, those who are willing to fight and those who are looking for a fight. And we got a team who's looking for a fight. Like that's a dude <laughs> who, right. Kills. Like what a, what a fucking line. And he <laughs> drops that out in a press conference. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm all in on UNC. And I had talked about this before the tournament start or before when we did our live pick, I had them getting to the elite eight. I had no idea they would get this far. I believed in what I'd seen the transformation over the years. We're talking about a team who had single digit losses in total, and yet they were an eight seed and everybody said the ACC was down, which it absolutely was, but I don't think enough props can be given to Hubert Davis and to that team. I mean, they, and they played what yeah. Marquette in the first round too. I mean, yeah. what a just, smart, great. Yeah. Great coach, great program over every single one. They had the St. Peter's thing, but, you know, if you're St. Peter's, you're rolling the hot hands, right? You're the dude on the craps who hasn't rolled a seven in two hours yeah. and you're just boom, boom, yeah. right? Speaking that was St. Peter's and un unbelievable. We had a craps conversation the other day. Actually. I, so I played funny. so much craps this week, guys. I was in Vegas. And then when Told I was, you. Weekend, I said that, I played, we said that oh on the God. pod. Dude, I, I said craps and roulette. Craps. Those are Vito's games. Oh, yeah. I, I said, oh no question. I forget what, I don't even know if this was an on-air thing or for bringing this in. I think it was on the podcast last week, but I swear we had this conversation. And I said to Scotty, I was like, I guarantee you Vito's a craps guy. Oh yeah. That makes so I, much sense. Yeah. Right. Of course it does. So much sense. Um, I'm, I'm a vibes guy, but Zach had got back to me. He could, he will be the fifth coach to take his team to the finals mm -hmm. in his first year. The only coach to win it is Steve Fisher from Michigan Fisher. in 1989. Wow. Uh, I was going to say Steve Phillips, coach. and I knew that was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, Steve so Fisher. he was the only other one. So, I mean, this could be not only elite company, you're talking about, again, they are an eight seed, but to your point, I mean, everyone I hear at UNC, and I'm like, they're an eight, but they're, it's UNC, you know, yeah. it's going to be fine. But I should have seen this when I was picking my brackets. UNC, <laughs> eight seed, come on. They're well, not, I, mean, an I, I really did. do believe they're never though, an eight seed. But I really believe that when you look at all of that stuff, um, like what people were talking about before the tournament, the way they had beaten Duke, um, everything that led up with them, you cannot give enough credit to the coach because not only that, being a first-year coach, replacing a legend. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of excuses for players to go off and do what they want or take it a little different and be like, oh, the old guy, just it was the old way, and now we got some new... Like, uh, this team sees dialed in, like you guys said, and to, they have to be dialed in to make it this far. So credit to the coach because that's what it takes. Like, it takes a great coach to get your team ready for something like this. It does. And to that point, I think this is where Duke next year falters, where UNC succeeded this year, uh, is because it was Roy Williams saying, hey, Hubert, this is your program. Do what you want. I'll take a step back. I'm here as a resource. If you need me, whatever you want. Uh, but... I, I feel like and Duke 
Coach K is just going to be like, I'm on retirement, man. I'm in Florida. I'm hanging yeah, you out. Got, you got uh, your year. You're I on mean, your own. You got think, your whole I thing. I think man. K will be around to an extent. I think K might be the guy who, like, hangs around a little too much. Like, the guy who, like, retires be like the from AD. a company. But They'll still, ask like, him to be the AD, and so he's, like, way too involved in the basketball program only, though, right? The like, just, <laughs> yeah, they just hired ops. a new AD. Mike Mike White, they just hired, who's, who's great AD. Um, but, that's uh, yeah, Coach K will be the dude who retires but then still goes back to the company that he founded. You know, yeah. it's like a guy owns a company. He finally retires, sells his stocks, but you know, it's his company still. He's still the founder. So yeah. he's still kind of just pocked back. Hey, I have an guys, office. It's know? in a deal. Yeah. I have an yeah, office like, still. Yeah. So speaking of office though, and this will be the last thing we hit on before we hit Kansas and, and Villanova. Cause I do want to touch a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, Roy Williams announced he was retiring, um, Hubert Davis said that he, Roy Williams offered him his coach's office, you know, I'll get my stuff out. You can move it in. And Hubert Davis said, no, he was like, no, that's your office. He's like, I want you to have a place that you can bring your grandkids. You can bring your kids back. When we have games, when we have people here. I want you to have a place that is yours because you are why this program is where it is right now. And I just, again, that respect for the, the place he comes from, the program being what it means to being North Carolina. I remember hearing that in his opening press conference last year and being like, Man, this Hubert Davis dude might be onto something. I didn't think it would happen this quick, but you know, I said it when we were making picks. I said this would be the thing that launches the, you know, Hubert Davis era at North Carolina, and it absolutely has. So shout out to the Tar Heels, um, Kansas, North, and uh, Villanova. Woof. My my boys did not get it done. <laughs> they were uh, unmet. They were downmanned. You know, they 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 gave a valiant effort, man. They really did. They got it down to six. But when Kansas is shooting 65% from the, from the field, they shoot like over 60% from three. There's just nothing. There's nothing Villanova yeah. can do. Maybe if they were fully healthy, but even if they're fully healthy, I just, I don't think, I don't think you can beat a team that is playing that well and just nope. isn't missing shots. Kansas has looked like the best team in basketball, let alone in, in college basketball, basketball period uh, since the second half of, of the game. Against the Miami. Miami. <laughs> Now, granted, that's been like a game and a half, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. From my right, standpoint, Scott. like I think what, what's interesting about this game was that the only team I've really paid attention to is Nova. So I feel like this is my chance to get analytical. Uh, they, without a doubt, got into a place. It's like a team that loves to run the ball in football, and then they get down and they have to throw it. Villanova always took the clock down to like the end of the shot clock. And they talked about that a lot leading into the tournament. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was watching it. I'm like, Oh my God, get a shot, get a shot. And then they get a pass with three seconds left and it's a guy wide open and he takes it make or miss. It's a good quality shot. And I'm like, Holy shit. It was like basketball watching anxiety, seeing how long they took it <laughs> into the play clock. Especially yeah. shoot him. Shoot. Oh my God. I yelled that a lot when I'm watching Nova. But in this game, they got into a point where they needed to shoot much earlier in the clock than they probably normally would have. And you could tell it created some discomfort because a lot of players, and I don't know, you know, a lot of the folks by name, um, but you could see a lot of different players get the ball and almost like they, their natural move was to pump fake and look. And they were like pump faking, like, well, oh, it, shit, I should shoot. And then they end up shooting. And that's it was just like out what of rhythm. does. Well, and that's yeah. what I mean. Like, it, but it was out of rhythm. For, it wasn't their identity. And I think when that got away, it was a little wild. I can't believe they got it back to six. I really can't. That was a great effort. 
It shows um, the resilience of, yeah. of AJ Wright as a head coach and what I he's agree. done with that program. I mean, I will defend Jay Wright to the end of time. I will defend Villanova. I, I still think he's the best coach in college basketball. But what you said there, Vita, is 100% right. And it came down to the fact that they were used to playing with about five guys and occasionally a sixth guy all year. And one of those five guys was out. And when you think yeah. about the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours these guys practiced, played together, the chemistry – you take something out like that, right? If you have a, a, a some sort of mechanism that has all these different parts together and it runs smoothly, the second you take that out and replace it with something that just doesn't quite fit, it's not going to work the same, right? And yeah. that's Villanova basketball. Villanova basketball is a machine. And the second you take out one gear and replace it with a gear that's not quite perfect, it's not going to run the same way. And Scotty and I were watching the, the first half of the game together, actually. Yeah. They look lost. And they, <laughs> they just really looked, did without Justin Moore. It, it was Everyone just uh, Colin Gillespie, you yeah. know, had three turnovers in the first five minutes of the game. That is so right? unlike him because he was getting doubled and everyone was looking around saying, what are you going to do? Well, what are you going to do? And well, what's Colin going to do? And then you're not going to pass to me. You're the shooter. Like what are yeah. you? <laughs> and it was clear that there was this, you know, depth in college basketball isn't essential unless you have one of these huge injuries. Right. And then all of a sudden it becomes important. Uh, the other thing that Nova didn't have is they had no answer for McCormick down low. McCormick just absolutely bodied them on the glass. The amount of second, mm -hmm. you know, even when it got down to six points, there was three offensive or three chances at a defensive rebound for Villanova to get the ball back and go down and score and get it to, you know, a three point game or a four point game. And every single time, Kansas just bodied them and got the offensive rebound and was able to get easy putbacks. And that's why I say Kansas played a, a, a flawless game. Now you take that and you push it ahead because as much as I love Villanova, I don't think there's, I don't think any team in the, in the tournament could have beaten Kansas on Saturday. I, not a single one. If Kansas plays that way, which again is having an insane shooting night, or again, shooting like 65% from the field, it's hard to beat any team in college basketball when they're shooting 65% of the field. So for Kansas to, to have that dominant game, to play great in the second half against uh, Miami and carry that over a week later and take it to Villanova. The question now is, did Kansas play their best game? Is, does, is, is Kansas going to be able to keep this rolling against a team that is gritty, a team that has size, a team that matches up really, really well against them and is, is coming off of a super emotional win? So again, I'll let everybody know after this segment, you're going to hear our championship reaction. You're going to hear us post championship. We'll break it down for you guys then. But now that we've kind of gone through it and everyone can hear how stupid we sound, uh, what are your thoughts for the game coming up tonight? Scotty, you go first. It's a letdown game from North Carolina. They already won their national championship. Kansas is going to roll. See, that's – that's okay. All right, Vito, go ahead. My boys, shout out JT, avid listeners. His bachelor party I was at in Vegas last weekend with all shout KU JT. boys. Let's Rock go. Shock. We are going shock. with Kansas to win against <laughs> UNC. Um, and And you know what? I just got to roll with my Vegas boys. Hey, you know, the, the espresso Martinos, baby. Espresso oh, Martinos. Wow. You were drinking those. At, oh man. Espresso <laughs> Martini so much. We were but drinking espresso Martinos. That's the, we were drinking them so much. We started calling that was the singer at the yeah, lounge. Espresso Martinos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The singer, right? The singer yeah. at the lounge, Scotty. The, that was, that the, was her name. Espresso. Yeah. Right. The second to last time that Kansas played and Kansas dominated this matchup. Each of the last three times that they played in the, in the tournament. Uh, but the second to last time they played was in 08 that Mario Chalmers shot. Mm. One of the greatest shots in the tournament in the That's final awesome. four. I'm here in revenge. 
I'm all Ooh, in on baby. North Carolina. I'm I, I wish this was a was a nice Carolina blue jacket. I am I could not be, and it's not because you know there is red in the Kansas uniform. I'm all in on North Carolina. North Carolina money line is the bet tonight. Give me the Tar Heels. They're, they are they remind me a lot of Baylor last year, where the sum of their parts is greater, right? Or whatever that expression is, right? The, the, the total is bigger than some other parts, however it is. I love North Carolina. I love this team. I love the grittiness. And the thing is, the last game at Coach K for against Coach K and Cameron, that was supposed to be too big of a moment for them, right? And they did yeah. it. And then it's, well, they can't do it twice. Look at the pressure that's on this North Carolina team. They battled back through that game time after time, and they still got it done. I don't mm-hmm. care about anyone in Kansas. I'm sorry. Shout out to your boy. Congratulations. I hope you have a wonderful marriage. Your team's losing tonight, and this is all Tar Heels. It's Jordan, baby. And here's the thing. When you lose – He's playing? The, when you lose – I'll be crying later, Scott. On don't the, worry. On the, <laughs> when you lose on the greatest shot in basketball history, maybe sports history with Chris Jenkins hitting a buzzer beater to win the tournament, the good luck karma will for, forever be on your side. You get like 20 years of good karma after your team loses like that, after Marcus Page hit that unbelievable shot. So the Tar Heels are going to get it done. It's the dawn of a new day for Hubert Davis and the boys. And with that, we're going to take a break and you're going to hear whether I'm a fucking idiot or not. We'll be back in a second. All right. We are time travelers and the Kansas Jayhawks are your national champions. Thanks in part to arguably one of the biggest choke jobs I've ever seen in the history of sports. This is a wild, wild night. Congratulations, Kansas. Absolutely win it. I felt really good about my pick at halftime. I told you guys I was picking out my boot blazer. I switched into my, my Tar Heel colors. I had a, a even a matching tie to go around my head. I was all sold out here. And the North Carolina Tar Heels just blew away one of the biggest choke job. It's unbelievable. I, I Honestly, I cannot believe – what we just watched, instant reaction to the two guys who picked it. Vito, we'll start with you. Reaction to the national championship game. I just can't believe in that second half how quickly basically Kansas came back from down 15 to get within striking distance. It took no time at all. It was like that. And they hung around. Um, they, without a doubt, they, without a doubt, dominated up front. And that's what made the difference in this game. Um, man, that was fun as shit. Uh, just rooting for Kansas and having that bet to go down 15 and still end up winning. I got I'm looking at, like I said, Jefferson is baby blue and it, I, I'm wearing some too, but it feels good that uh, I was wearing mine beforehand and, and chose Kansas and still had him come out on top. That was crazy, man. What do you think, Scott? You know, what's wild is, just about every year I pick one of these two teams uh, and, and it's one of these two teams or, or another blue blood like Duke or UCLA or whatever uh, in the tournament. And we get to this point in, in the year uh, and half the time I'm kicking myself. Like, why didn't I pick one of these teams? And the other half of the time I'm like, <laughs> yeah, of course they lost in the, uh, in the round of 32, uh, you know, um, and this is one of the years where, uh, and I don't know about you, Jeff or, or, or Vito even, but I was filling out my brackets and I'm like, damn it, this is going to be 
a bracket where I'm going to pick either Duke or UCLA or Kansas to win the thing mm-hmm. or North Carolina. And I don't like any of those picks this year. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, Kansas, you know, finds their way through and, uh, and and pulls it out. So, Scotty, are you aware that you picked Kansas to win the national title in our read option bracket? I did. It was just uh, I did like <laughs> like, like twenty brackets, man. Like I I I it was a blur. so it's a Mickey what, Mouse what win for you. It's a Mickey Mouse win for you. But yeah. you went from being in dead last in our brackets and and me being in in literally the top like one thousand brackets in the country, but <laughs> going into the elite eight to you have now. So won, I won. I won the re-option. Won pool, the re-option huh? bowl back. To I back. won the re-option cup in fantasy. I won the re-option bracket pool. What's back, next? Back. There's back, nothing but greatness on the horizon. Back to back years. One of us on the re-option here picked a winner for the tournament. Um, we're not gonna harp on too long because it's late and Vito's got an early flight. Uh, but a couple things I want to hit here and uh, Scotty, you and I were kind of arguing here before we hopped on. This doesn't take away from what North Carolina fans will have over no, no, Duke. No, God, no. But and don't interrupt me here, Scotty, because I can already, I can already feel you're trying to cut me off. I know, I, I know when you're in these kinds of moods. I just know it. Um, what it does do is it allows Duke fans to have just enough, just enough ammo, just enough of a little bit. Not that it's going to affect North Carolina fans because they still know, yeah, we killed Coach K. But blowing a lead like this. In the, in the national championship, when you're up 15 points, absolutely smoking Kansas, and for them to come out and erase that lead, as Vito pointed out, I mean, we were third, we were a minute into the second half, and all of a sudden 15 turned to nine, right? I went to go up and take a piss. North Carolina was up one. I come back, and all of a sudden Kansas is up six. Like, the, the the tide turned so quickly. It was it felt so similar to the end uh, or to the second half against Miami, right? It felt similar to when they just came out and turned it up against Kansas and Villanova right off the get go. It did. Um, and and again, North Carolina will have the bragging rights over Duke, but this absolutely wholeheartedly softens the blow for Duke fans. It gives them just enough to hang on to. I mean, it's at least at least like you're saying. Well, UNC didn't win. You know, I, I get yeah. what you're saying. Like, there's something there about like not just didn't win, rivalry. but but choked one of the biggest choke jobs I've ever seen in, in sports. I think that the it almost they almost like blew it so fast that it's not even that big of a choke job because it's like you didn't even have it that long. Like, I just couldn't believe how quickly. They came like they gave that up in the second half. I I just I've never I don't think I've ever seen something like that where a team looked so dominant and then just fell flat so quickly. Like, yeah. I, well, they I, did I it in know. the Baylor I mean, game though. That's that's what I'm, you know, that that's what I keep going back to is like, it's like they did this exact thing in the Baylor game and managed to to hang on enough to to force it to overtime and then get a win like. I, I I don't understand the the rhetoric behind like, uh, well this was this was just a a, a terrible job, uh, by by the the North Carolina team and they, granted like look they were banged up like Baycock got hurt on that one play in late in the second half and and it was like that was kind of it like they were within three or four at that point. And Baycock gets hurt. It was, it was, and, I think it was actually a one point game. And, and even still, yeah. it was, there was, but there was like 40 seconds left. 
And, and yeah. losing Baycott, and I even said in that group, like that was the final nail in the coffin. But even still, they had a chance there because Kansas ran out of bounds on the inbound play. That, that yeah, North and they were abysmal a, at free throws. Like it was a whole, yeah. North Carolina had a shot there to win it. Uh, but I, I, the one thing is, and while I will say this is an absolute choke job by North Carolina, there is no argument about that. Like as much as I want to defend them and the run has been spectacular and all this stuff about UNC, which is well-deserved, this is a choke job. It is. And you, and they have to be held to that standard. Um, I don't want to take anything from Kansas because I, I saw Kansas go out to that 10 or was a seven, nothing lead tonight. I saw them go out to a 10, nothing lead against Villanova. They started hot both times. And then just as quickly as North Carolina lost the lead in the second half, they took the lead back from Kansas. And it says a lot about Bill self and this Kansas team where they, I mean, that dude, Remy, whatever his last name is. Remy Martin. Remy Martin. 1738. That kid, I, I said this in the group chat. I was like, he is the absolute worst person to ever play pickup basketball with because he just was full court press, had his man up and down all 90 feet the entire time. Like, absolute He's, annoying. I, I've described pets. him as the Russell Wilson of basketball. Sure. <laughs> I, I said this to you guys too. I think this – Kansas team is pretty sneakily unlikable. I'm not going to lie. However, I think when all is said and done, when you look at the entire scope of the college basketball season, I think Kansas was probably the best team start to finish. If not the best, they were in the top three. Yeah, they had the blowout loss against Kentucky. But other than that, they played really good basketball from start to finish. They had the easiest path to the final four, but they then had Villanova and then they had UNC, two really tough teams to finish out on. So I'm not trying to take anything away because they that's absolutely the thing, earned though. it on this comeback here. Like, I'm not taking it away from them. They they earned it by that comeback. That comeback alone cemented the fact that they were deserving of the national championship. And they earned that's it by the getting thing, that though, one Jeff. seed, right, Scott? Because you're going to say, I know you're going to like look at they had Texas Southern, Creighton, Providence, Miami. No, no, no. And- I'm, I'm not going to tell you how they got there. I'm, what I'm going to tell you is that we we say this every year, like Kansas is one of the best teams in the country. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course, I, there's no denying that. They're always one of the best teams in the country as long as Bill Self is the head coach there because of the talent he recruits, because of the teams that he coaches. And we, we find ourselves every year like, like deciding whether or not like Kansas was actually good because they got beat in the uh, in the second round of the Sweet 16 or, or or the Elite Eight, and it's like now that they they finally eclipsed that hurdle again for the first time since 2008. Like, like we're talking about the same thing, just like in a in a, a slightly different context. I just I disagree completely. This is by far the least talented team Bill Self has had at Kansas in the last Agre- probably fifty. Agreed, years. though. So, so, uh, so I'm not sure what your point. I you're you're being a little vague in what your point is. All I'm saying is that Kansas deserves credit for this. UNC deserves blame for blowing a 15 point lead. And uh, it, what's weird is that whenever can, uh, UNC got ahead and got comfortable in games, with the exception of the St. Peter's game, they blew the lead. You know, these back and forth games where every single possession was back and forth, back and forth, like we saw in the Duke game, like in both Duke games, right, where they had to kind of fight and crawl the whole time. They had their energy up. They came out of halftime dead as a doornail. And credit for can- to Kansas to saying, hey, we can roll over. We're down 15. We can say that this is all she wrote. 
but that's not how we're going out. We're coming out here. We're playing annoying pickup basketball player kind of basketball and credit to them. Uh, yeah, they, they, yeah. for a team that did not shoot well from three all year to put out back-to-back three point shooting performances against Villanova and UNC in games that like, yeah, I mean, UNC, they had the better team going in because of, uh, or sorry, against Villanova, they, you know, Kansas had the better team going into it because Villanova was hurt, but they still had to shoot lights out from three and even still Villanova made it close. And in this one, they get down 15 and the amount of fast break transition points, the defense, everything, they played at an extraordinary level. So I, I give tons of credit to Kansas. And by saying this was a choke job, I'm not trying to take away from it. But ultimately, how I'll remember this championship will not be, oh, my God, Kansas was the clear front runner best team like I felt Baylor was last year. I look at this and go, North Carolina had a chance to pull off one of the best seasons and one of the greatest single runs in NCAA tournament history, and they had a 15-point lead at halftime, and they absolutely wholeheartedly pissed it away. And that sucks. Yeah. It sucks if you're a UNC fan. But, You'll always have the win over Duke, but that's the but reality of how you people me, are going to remember it. Hubert Davis and North Carolina will be back in yeah. this position no sooner question. rather than later. No because question. friend just texted me how funny would that be if he left him and took the Duke job. <laughs> <laughs> Now, something, that, something that was really fun, guys. See ya. <laughs> well, so I saw somebody say this something similar. It was like, hey, if, if, if you win, do you just like go, hey, you know what? First year I won, I'm going to go for something more challenging and then move on to like the NBA or something, right? But I mean, <laughs> this is, I will say, in a, in a tournament the Spurs that didn't job have any, after Pop retires. <laughs> in, in a tournament that had no buzzer beaters, that had a great Cinderella run, and then all the drama was around Coach K and UNC. The fact that this is how it ended is a perfect encapsulation of how crazy March Madness is. And I, I don't think after watching that, that Kansas is the clear-cut best team. They proved it on the court in terms of wins and losses. But that was kind of – and so often in college basketball, at the end of March Madness, whoever wins the tournament, that person whoever or that team, rather, kind of encapsulates what the whole year was. And this was a year – where you had talent spread out across the board. You had a different team as number one week after week after week. No one really knew. And the only way a season like that can end is in utter chaos. And I will say this, February, or sorry, April 4th is going to be, whatever the opposite of a holiday is, is going to be that for UNC. Because six years like ago April today, Day six years ago today, Chris Jenkins buried the greatest shot in basketball history to beat UNC. Oh. And now they're, they just gave up easily the biggest choke job in NCAA tournament history and arguably in basketball history. So with that, we Wait, will get who back. Who got the tie? Who got Jim Nance's tie, though? No one, because there's no – well, it can't be Mitch Lightfoot because he's coming back for a seventh fucking year. He's like Tommy Boy. <laughs> Motherfucker better walk out of Kansas <laughs> with a fucking PhD. Jesus. I'm sorry. Kansas is a sneaky, unlikable team. I'm dying on that hill. But that being said, congrats to Bill Self. Certif- recertified himself, right? It's like when you have to get like, it's like when you have to get your driver's license re-ups, you know, as you get older. That's what Bill Self just did. Hey, be like, hey, remember me? I didn't just win one in 2008. I just won one in 2022. So shout out to the Jayhawks. Rock Chalk, this is your time, Lawrence. God knows your football team is trash. So this is the only time you're going to get a chance to celebrate a national championship. Shout out my man, Ari Temkin, diehard 
Kansas fan. I know you're celebrating. Uh, with that, we'll get back to the 100th episode. So NFL draft is just about three weeks away. We were just discussing kind of some of our plans for it. We are going to have another yes, mock please. draft. Uh, Chris Plank, old buddy of mine from SiriusXM, is an absolute stud when it comes to the NFL draft. He's going to be joining here over the next couple of weeks and hopefully an appearance from Ryan Leaf, uh, who many of you know is the quarterback drafted oh, one the spot leaf behind, uh, behind Peyton Manning. Awesome dude. So we're getting all that set up. Excited for what's to come moving forward. Uh, but we did have some draft related news today happened about an hour before we started recording the Philadelphia Eagles, my Philadelphia Eagles and the New Orleans saints have agreed to a big trade that only involves draft picks. So I'm going to run this through you now, try to bear with me. If you haven't heard about it by this point, um, the saints traded away or sorry, the saints are receiving in this. So the Eagles traded away the 16th pick in this year's draft, the 19th pick, in this year's draft remember the Eagles had 15, 16 and 19. So the Eagles are giving up two first round picks and a sixth round pick this year. In return, they're getting the saints first round pick from this year, which is number 18. They're also getting a third round pick this year, a seventh round pick this year, a first round pick next year, and then a second round pick in 2024. So just since we've been recording, hmm. I've gotten multiple <laughs> texts from people being like, what does this trade mean? And I put out a tweet when I saw it, which is that I've been expecting this trade to happen, something like this, all offseason. I never fully believed that the Eagles would hold on to all three first-round picks this year. No. And there's a couple of reasons for that, right? A, the Eagles are still going to have two first-round picks this year, number 15 and number 18, which means mm -hmm. they can add two high-level talent players in this draft. They also have the 101st pick, which is a pretty high-end first round or third-round pick. So you get another third-round pick, you get a seventh-round pick. And if you look at Howie Roseman's draft history over the last couple of years, Eagles fans should actually be excited that they're getting a third-round pick and a seventh-round pick because, you know, they drafted guys like Jordan Mailata in the seventh round. They've also drafted Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders. You can go down the list. Avante Maddox was a fourth-round pick. Uh, Quez Watkins was a sixth-round pick. The Eagles have, and Howard Roseman, have crushed mid to late round draft picks. Where they've struggled are first round draft picks. Now they get two shots this wow. year still, 15 and 18. Yeah. They can address their needs. But what's important is that now they have two first round picks. And that means moving forward, let's say Jalen Hurts doesn't have a great step up this year, right? Let's say the Jalen Hurts trajectory kind of tables or maybe even takes a bit of a down here. The Eagles now have two first round picks in 2023 to potentially trade up and go after what is going to be a loaded quarterback class in 2023. This is a perfect trade for the Eagles. They're getting an insane amount of draft capital. The fact that they get a 2024 second on top of it yeah. is a sweetener yeah, on sweeteners because we have no idea what the future of the Saints looks like. So that could Why be is the seventh even in there then? Right. Yeah. And, and then Why you're is the two or three? I would give one or the other. I can't believe yeah. you're getting both. Like, honestly, yeah. this is an incredible deal. And what I'm glad about, you're right. I don't think anyone expected the Eagles to hang on to all of these, but what I'm glad is that they're not moving up this year. And they're yes. saying, you know what? We're going to go ahead. We'll take some extra capital. We'll move back. We, we know who we are this year. And, and like, listen, you still have a good team there. I, I really do like this move, especially the move back and not moving up. And the fact that you really gave up a 16 and 19, you got an 18. So you're okay. You're, you're moving a little bit, but then to get again, a first round next year and, I really think that that'll be a higher pick than 15. 
right? I mean, I don't know. We'll see how the Saints do, but like, well, I don't know. Everything could change, but you never know in that division. Uh, so move on from there. Like, you got to understand too what that second round means next year. That's really good. Well, that so is the second rounder is the second rounder's two years from now in 2024. Oh, I'm sorry, in 2024. Still, which again is the fact so that it exists. Open-ended. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's open ended because the thing about the Eagles is even though you change coaches or you, you know, you have starting quarterbacks change, it's actually a pretty consistent organization, I would say. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they, they still make the play. It's not like they're making the play for the short term. And this is a great move. If you look a little, it's crazy to say long term is three years, but you look a little long term and you're saying that, all right, in 2024, this will all pay off with an extra two. Yeah, that's worth it. Immediately. Like, yes, 100%. Oh, and the three still this instant. year. It's cr- yeah. incredible. And they should also, and- they should also be able, and the sneaky part of this as well is that it should also free up some cap space. Right. The Eagles were budgeting all offseason for three first round picks. Right. Which means you have to budget in about around that area, probably about four to six million dollars from 15 to 19 and that 15, 16 and 19 picks. Well, now you're going to cut out about four million dollars in cap space that would have gone to a rookie this year. And yes, some of that will get filled by the third and the seventh. But it frees up just a little bit that, you know, they've been heavy in the talks for Tyron Matthew. So if Tyron Matthew ends up becoming a Philadelphia Eagle. There this you could Throw be the a extra five million why, right? on the contract. Yeah. Throw a couple extra in there. And I, I love it because it gives them flexibility. I get which is why I was anticipating this move happening all off season. I've even mentioned it on the pod before it gives you a chance that if you want, if, if you really aren't sold by on Jalen hurts by next year, which means they'll have to decide within that'll be his third year after this upcoming year, which means he'll be going into his last year on his rookie deal. Cause he was a second round pick. And you don't get that fifth year control that you do with first round picks, right? So the Eagles will be at kind of decision-making time when it comes to Jalen Hurts. If you And at the same time, you're able to add two pieces here. And what you were saying there, Vito, right? Yeah, 18, you're getting one up from your third pick there. You're moving two back from where you were going to be picking at 16. But chances are the group of players that you're targeting around that spot, one of those guys is still going to be there. Yeah. And you still yeah. get your first of your first round picks, which is at 15. Exactly. I, I, it's a great pick. And, and, that, go and ahead, I think Scott. it's, yeah. I think it shows a little desperation for the saints, right? This either means one of two things to me. They're either moving up to get one of the quarterbacks uh, that they're going to stretch for, I think, or to get one of the superstar wide receivers uh, at the, at the top end of the, of the wide receiver group. Um, and the Eagles to their credit, have built enough that they don't have to worry about that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a huge priority. If, if like, again, the difference is what one, two picks in the first round. So it's like, ah, yeah, if Olave is not there, we'll get Garrett Wilson or vice versa or whatever, you know, like if you're dead set on a wide receiver in the first round, like the gap is not huge. Yeah. Uh, so new Orleans must have their guy that they need to move into that, that spot for. I would think so too. And the last thing I want to touch on here with the Eagles too, is just, if you're saying that a team that made the playoffs last year, albeit as the seven seed, is now getting four first-round draft picks over the next two years, all Huge. of their young talent that they love, Dallas Goddard, Jordan Mailata, uh, Josh Sweat, Avante Maddox, all these guys are extended for another four or five years. So you're set up well with the young talent that you were borderline close to losing. You still have some clap cap flexibility. I believe there are seventh or eighth in cap space left, which they're holding four draft picks. But again, that number goes down losing one of these. 
You can add another veteran. Maybe it is a Tyron Matthew. And you have a team that was just in the playoffs with a first-year starting quarterback and a first-year head coach who has young talent locked up, who has four first-round draft picks over the next two years and has complete flexibility over where they want to go, where if Jalen Hurts ends up not being the guy, then you can make a big offer without completely depleting all of your resources to go up and get Bryce Young or, or whichever quarterback who's going to be at the top of next year's draft class that you want to be able to get. And that flexibility puts the Eagles in such a fantastic spot where roster wise, everyone else in the division has gotten worse. Washington's gotten worse. New York's gotten worse. Dallas has gotten worse. Yes. The well, Eagles that's the other the thing too. And might have a chance to get even better. And, and with the Eagles, they're ahead, the Eagles like getting, getting, giving that pick to new Orleans is like, Hey, go ahead and take the receiver that Washington was going to take like by all means. Or quarterback, whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition, like for me, what, what's so funny about it, to your point about the division, is the fact of you are now saying, okay, we're going to see how this goes. We're going to accumulate picks. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if I would say one of the picks that the Eagles just received was traded before or on draft day again. Might and, be. And, and it could be. But like, think about it. If, if they trade back to a first round extra from the Saints, and then they also get this three. They might be like, well, all right, we basically went from a one to a three this year. What if we trade the three and like our own three next year and get back in the like the early second and get the guy who maybe we wanted and scouted at that 15 to 19, you know, range that fell. And yeah. then you have Friday night to think that's why I love about this draft or Thursday night. I love how the draft now is on different days. Like once the first round is done, I love the aspect of like Friday night, like come back yeah. and like, all right, let's make some fucking calls. We want this guy, you know? Like yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I, I and, and thinking about this too from the Saints, let's say the Saints draft used 16 and 19 to package up and, and they move up to 10 and they draft Malik Willis, right? All right, well, now we're talking about Jameis Winston most likely starting at least the first half of the season or at least a few games coming off of an ACL tear. And then a rookie in Malik Willis, who albeit insanely talented, also has a lot more development going with, right? Or maybe it's Kenny Pickett, right? Who might be good, who has a chance to be good, but probably isn't going to come away. It's going to be a rookie quarterback or Jameis Winston coming off of an ACL. They also just lost one of the best left tackles in football in Toronto Armstead. They also lost both of their starting safeties in Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams, who Marcus Williams is one of the best safeties in football. This is not mm-hmm. the same Saints roster that we, uh, you know, we saw with Drew Brees, no, right? It's drastically different. So a first rounder next year feels like a guaranteed lock to at least be in the top half of the draft. And if the Eagles go on to have another, you know, playoff season, then all right, then maybe they get a top 10 pick plus their own first round pick to basically say, Hey, we're going to take our, our third first rounder this year and just push it back to next year. And Oh yeah. We're also going to acquire a shitload of other capital is an even unbelievable. Then you, you can trade. move the move that you, you just moved. Right. Yeah. So next year, if you, depending on how your season goes this year, if you're in the back half of the draft as a playoff team, again, after the 2022 season, you can be like, uh, Hey, anybody want this? Like, yeah. And who yeah, takes exactly. this 10 pick <laughs> or, or you just use it to continue to stockpile young talent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, so and it's Lord, knows how, for the Lord knows Howie Roseman needs as much help, you know, with first round picks. He needs at least a 50 50 shot. You need to give him a couple more bites at the apple for him to hit on first round picks. Now, he did draft Devontae Smith last year, and that ended up being a great pick. I love this for the Eagles. For the Saints, Sophomore if you want year. to take a moment, 
if the Saints are sold that Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral or, or Malik Willis or one of these guys at the top is their guy, Desmond Ritter, one of those guys, this is an absolute great trade for New Orleans. Because in any instance, and I will say this for any team that puts together picks to go ahead and draft their guy, to move up in the draft, to draft the person that they think is their guy, I'm in support of that trade every single time. I may not agree with the team on who the guy is, but if you think it's your guy, then you have to make the trade. Yeah, and you got to go get your guy. If New Orleans turns this into just, hey, we just wanted to add some young talent, then I think it's an absolute loss. And, and, and I don't understand mm-hmm. it. The only way this trade makes sense for New Orleans is if they use 16 and 19, which they easily could, right? You get two first rounders this year and you look at a team like, uh, I don't know, who, who's up there in the top 10? Who's, who, I mean, Washington, who is going to bet on Carson Wentz for a year, right? If you're looking at one of those teams or, hey, we can get ahead. I think they know that Carolina. Carolina, right? I mean, well, Carolina needs a quarterback too, but yeah. Even still, if Carolina's like, fuck it, we're just going to go ahead with Sam Darnold again this year because we don't have any other options. So we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, then it, again, it, it's a smart move because New Orleans wants to go up and get their guy. And that's what this trade says to me that New Orleans is going to go ahead and draft their, their future of their franchise. Jameis is going to have the reins. He's going to have a chance to compete for his job, but the next guy is going to be there waiting. And I, I think for the Eagles to recognize the position of power that they were operating from with three first round picks, instead of being like Mike Maddock or, and, uh, and, and John Gruden, when they had three first round picks in, in Oakland and they ended up drafting Clellan Farrell and Josh Jacobs and, and who, Jonathan Abrams or whoever those three guys were, this is a much smarter use of assets. And this is why Howard Roseman is a Super Bowl winning GM, despite the fact that I fucking hate Howard Roseman half the time. <laughs> but he does stuff like this. That it's just, love, hate, Jeff. You, you got to think about They I don't, wrote me back in. That's how it I, feels. I don't, I, there are times that I question John Lynch and I'm like, I got to take a step back and be like, you know what? You know what you're doing now. Like, yeah, yeah, he does. I love John yeah, Lynch. He does. Shout All out right. Old Bronco. Um, that's our NFL news for now. And we will now transition going from high energy football. I can see uh, the azaleas. I can I'm hear here. the birds chirping. I'm here. If you're watching on YouTube. You can see Scotty is, is currently at Augusta. Um, it's Masters Week, boys. It's Masters Week. And and I'll say this all the time. Even though I don't love betting on like NFC ch- like championship games for football, basketball, betting on majors is awesome. And I'll say this right off the bat. Get your bets in before Thursday because you lose all the advantages as the better if you don't get it in before the tournament starts. Your advantage as the person betting on, which again, it's, very, it's rare to have an advantage over a sports book, but I genuinely do believe if you bet early enough, listen to one podcast, ours or another golf podcast, and read a couple articles saying like, hey, here are these guys who are playing well, you can do really good things betting top 20, top 10, top five, uh, miss the cut, make the cut, you know, uh, first day. Yeah, you don't even have to do winners. Yeah. Right. And then you sprinkle a little bit on the winners because you get ridiculous odds. And so we're yeah. going to go through here. Before we start, I do want to say a couple things here. Just two quick thoughts. And that I want our, our listeners to understand like how difficult and how different the Masters is to everybody else, right? So right off the bat, it's the smallest field for a major, right? We're talking about 70 to 80 70. guys. It's, it's 70. Is that what we have this year? 
I usually, I think, fluct- I think it's a little over. Yeah. Yeah. But. It usually fluctuates depending on how many of the former winners are playing. Cause you're going to have like oh, VJ Singh, right. is going to be playing. Tiger. Uh, we'll, have- <laughs> we'll get there, Scotty. We'll get there. <laughs> All right. Um, so you got to just remember <laughs> there, right. We have, it's a smaller field. The course is the best golf course in the world for a reason. It, it plays unlike any other golf course and you have uh, to golf two, course. Unlike any other two big things, right? Every winner since 2010, so we're going on, this will be 12 years, has been ranked in the top 30. So if you're not a top 30 player, especially with how good this field is, now granted, there's a little more depth this year, but last t- uh, 12 years, we've had a winner who was ranked in the top 30 in the golf world rankings, right? The other thing, eight of the last 10 have been top 20 guys, all right? So okay. you really want to look at that topper, that top tier but look at the 30 because that's where you're going to get a lot of money made for your winners. All right. You have guys like Will Zalatoris last year, who was a rookie basically on the tour. Well, actually wasn't even a full-time member on the tour. He finished second right behind Hideki Matsuyama. So there is a lot of things. You just got to remember this course plays differently than any other course. It's a lot about putting, right? It's a lot about your approach shots, getting into greens and regulations, right? If you're chipping around Augusta, you're going to have a long, long time but in the case of someone like victor hovland right victor hovland is last when it comes to his chipping and short game around the green but he ranks in the top 10 from uh fairway to green right so he okay. he doesn't have to chip a lot because he is really accurate with his irons so it might be a little bit of a risk to go with hovland because you know that his short game's not great but he gets the ball onto the green so it's a it's a completely different tournament you want to traditionally sprinkle a little bit on your big names your blue bloods as it were as we're in the college basketball mindset right of this tournament your rory's your jt's your john roms they are all going to be deserving picks but what i just those three guys have been at the top of golf for the last five years and, and jt and rory even longer and none of them have won at augusta so it really can be kind of a crapshoot which is why your best friend gambling here is going to be your top 20s your top 10s your top five finishes now i have a list for each top 10, top 20, top five, and then my winners. And Vito, we know you, we know you got some golf background, but I hand selected some guys Let's go. that I know you're going to love to root for. So before we get into that, though, I have two. You mean who I'm going to bet on? I'm definitely going to take your bet slip and take it to the bank. I cannot <laughs> wait for this. Let's as long as go. I get a little five percent. Oh, one hundred percent. You will get you will get some uh, a kickback for sure. I there love we this. Go. All this right, is consulting so, at its finest. Before we hit the top twenty, top ten, top five, and winners, I have two bets here that you can't find on FanDuel. They're kind of tough to track down, but if you can find it, they're great. Uh, Tiger to make the cut. If Tiger Woods plays. Tiger has Tiger has only not made the cut once at Augusta. It was in 1996, and uh, the year before he won. Twenty five years ago was the the anniversary of the first Tiger win at uh, at Augusta, and it was only his second time playing. He was still an amateur at the time. All right. Other than that, every single time Tiger's played Augusta, he's made the cut. Right. So it's probably going to be minus 200, 250 if he even ends up playing. But if he plays, he's going to make the cut. So you can check that out. The one, and this is go. This is one of Vito's picks, right? If it's like when you're at a restaurant and they're like, the the wait staff loves this one, right? This yeah. this meal, this is a Vito special. Bryson DeChambeau to miss the cut. All right, let's go. And there's let's a couple, fucking go. There's That's a bunch fun. of reasons yes. for this. Hey, it's plus one eighty eight. All right, so you're getting good odds on on that yep. right off the bat. You're Figured it would be good odds. odds. Love that. 
He's not been playing well. He's coming off of injury. He just did that stupid video with Dude Perfect at Augusta, which I have a lot of feelings about, and we don't have time to do get into it now because those might be two of my least favorite groups of people on planet Earth. But all that aside, Bryson plus 188. Uh, the reason I picked this one for you, Vito, is because one of the few things that golf offers that you can get in other sports, but it's even better in golf because it's just one guy, same thing in tennis, is the hate watchability. You can sit there and just actively root for Bryson to miss every single putt. Historically, he's putted terribly at Augusta. His numbers and all of his math and how he was going to revolutionize golf doesn't work there because they have to fill out their own yardage books, and he does a shit job of that. He's not putted where, well there over time. He didn't make the cut last week. He's not been playing well. He didn't even use his driver on any of the par fives, which is supposed to be his deadly weapon. So right. Bryson DeChambeau not to miss the cut, plus 188. Scotty, I know you're all over that one too, right? 1,000%. Awesome. 1,000%. It's not even the health. Like, um, I, I just don't think Augusta is a course where he can succeed because it's so technical. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of courses on the tour, uh, particularly on, on the – even in, it, look at the majors, like some of the U.S. Open courses where it, it favors like – good ball strikers and big bombers uh at that but like augusta is so technical that you need to be good in every facet of the game and he's not I, yeah. i'm sorry like uh, and he's, he's just physically not. just is not in good shape like to give him yeah. some defense and being he's just not uh, absolutely yeah he's well, that's, I, that's why i prefaced it with that like it's yeah. it's it's not even the health thing like it, you need every aspect of your game to be so technically sound uh, I don't think a again that he's that he's health wise is is ready for that course and be like just his game doesn't doesn't favor Augusta at all. Why I love it is because I'm definitely going to bet at number one and number two. I can't what my hope will be is it's not that like, oh, he's injured still or something bad happens. I hope he's like gets his driver and somehow is like back and smacks like a 400 yard drive on like a par four there that like goes off the back into the woods. Like that's what I want to see. I want to see yeah. amazing ball striking that is but, just out driving and out hitting Augusta as a course. That's like what I want to see. But the you thing can't is do you that. That's what I'm that's saying. What, is you that's can't what makes do Augusta, that so Augusta so beautiful. <laughs> it's it's you can't win there playing that way. Exactly. This whole yeah. thing exactly. Like, it would be so funny. It'd be it, oh, and he's that's what he tried to do last year. And you saw it when he was at Tory Pines last year. He was of this mindset was like, I'm gonna hit it as far as I possibly can, and I don't care if it's in the rough, I don't care if it's anywhere else. I'm just gonna hit it as far as I can. The US Open he won, the one that was in San Francisco, Scotty. You might be able to remind me of what that course's name was. Um, I think he won there. Was that where Morikawa won? No, Morikawa won. It was the PGA at Harding Park, there the U.S. Go. Open that uh, that Bryson won. I I don't remember that where that was. That was 2020, though, right? Yeah, and and it uh, was a course that Zach most Parker. most U.S. Open courses are designed so that way you can't hit out of the rough. Like the rough is supposed to be like foot. you might as well be in water, right? The course that day yeah, that that year foot. for DeChambeau was not one of the hardest U.S. Open courses, and because of that they've made it extremely hard. Like we saw at Torrey Pines last year. So Bryson, sorry, dude, you're missing the cut here. I have full Ooh, zero doubt that you're missing the cut. Plus one. Bryson missing the cut. I like so, that. Zach's getting in here. He said it was at winged foot West course. Winged foot, winged golf foot. Club. Absolutely. New York. Um, yep. All right. So that's what I have yep, there, there next week. 
for the other category. Now you can find some cool combos. I saw one that was Morikawa and it was either Morikawa or Rory McIlroy to win outright. That was plus 900. I might sprinkle a little bit on there and some of my picks later on might show you why. Um, but I, I do like that because Rory's been playing some pretty good golf this year. All right, top 20 finish. First off, I have Zach Johnson. All right, Zach Johnson, former Masters Zach winner. Zach Not Zach Packer. We got Zach Johnson. Uh, Zach Johnson, former Masters winner, uh, fantastic putter, great iron striker. One of the things about Augusta, you have to be able to hit it pretty far. In years where we saw like Jordan Spieth dominate, in years we saw Tiger dominate, you have to be able to bomb the ball like 350, right? You really have to be able to strike the ball far and get down there because those guys are playing at such high levels. Now, those guys are typically outliers when you think about the history of the Masters. So you don't have to be the longest hitter on tour. Zach Johnson knows the course. He's won there. He's got a green jacket. Top 20 for him, and I've seen him hang around top 20 at a bunch of different courses this year. It looks like FanDuel's treating him like he's one of the old hats. He's not Phil Mickelson, right, at, at the PGA Championship last year. He's not at that stage of his career. Is he in his 40s? Yes. But he still has enough skill that he's a top captain 20 captain of the finish. President's Cup team, man. Absolutely. What are you... <laughs> and he's plus 850 to finish in the top 20. Plus 850 for Zach Johnson. Uh, this is another veto pick next up. Harry Higgs, one of my favorite Ooh. players on tour. Another guy who doesn't hit it super far. His game can be kind of inconsistent. But if he gets hot, a top 20 finish is absolutely in question Dude, for a guy. I love like this Harry pick. Hits. I love this pick. He's like the average guy on tour. Like, you look at him. And you know, look up a like, picture of Harry Higgs right now. I'm telling you, you will love You'd him. see this guy at the course every Saturday. You do. And he and, oh, like yeah, that's my guy. I've had beers with this guy. Like <laughs> yeah, three of 100%. these guys. Yeah. Yeah, he got sunburned on the course, right? He forgot to he, bring sunscreen. He got sunburned yeah. on the course, had three hot dogs at the turn, threw him up on 17, and, and he's still beat back all home. of you. And yeah. he still beat you all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Harry and Higgs. he still shot a 79. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Harry Higgs is awesome. If look up the clip if you haven't seen it from uh he's taking his shirt off. Uh, the waste management. The waste management. Thank you. Yeah. yeah Him and Joel Damon taking, taking the shirts off at the, My the mom was there. hole. <laughs> Unbelievable guy. Harry Higgs is an absolute veto guy. He's plus 850. I like him. It's a little bit of a gamble because, look, he's a hitter. If he's hot, he's going to finish top 20. If he's plus, not – Plus 850 for what? I'm sorry. Top, top 20? 20? We're going through top oh. 20 right now. Plus 850. This is all FanDuel, by the way. All these odds are FanDuel. So that's not a sponsor. The sports book that we use, not a sponsor. Um, but Harry Higgs, plus 850. If he's hot, top 20 easy. If he's not, he's probably going to miss the cut. So it's a little hit or miss. But I love Harry Higgs, and I, I think he'll be good. Uh, next up, a name you're going to hear in pretty much every single list here, Kevin Kisner. Kevin Kisner is the best putter in the world right now. He's arguably he's playing the best golf of his career. He hits the fairway the second most of any player on tour. But again, is a short. He's not a long ball. He hits it, I think, like bottom ten on tour in drive distance. But he's top two in driving accuracy. His irons have been super dialed in this year, and that's always been his problem. If he can get he can get from tee to fairway, and he can get from green to the hole, but it's those couple things in between. And right now, he's in the top 10 
and ball striking and fairway to the green, green and regulation. I love Kevin Kisner. I love, love, love him. And as I said before, top 30, right? That's the benchmark. Kevin Kisner's 27 right now in the world, in the golf world rankings. I love Kevin Kisner this week. That's if, you, a, if you like him, top 10, parlay top 20, top 10. I'm telling you, I am all in on Kiz this that's week. That's a great on, call. On top of it, too, he just won the match play event a couple – or he lost to Scotty Scheffler, but he was in the finals. He's won that before. I love Kiz. And Vito, another guy, just look up some videos of him. He's the best. He's the absolute that's best. A, He's my arguably my favorite player on tour. That's a great call because, like, his – the way that he plays his game, I think, really favors Augusta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and – I, I would I, I would actually go as far as to as to go top ten on that bet. I'll hedge it with the twenty. Oh, we'll, but yeah, we'll get we'll get there, Scotty. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, and uh, he is plus four fifty to finish in the top twenty. And I feel like that might oh, be my, my. I love. I that. think that's my favorite bet of my top twenty of the three I wrote down. But Kiz at plus four fifty to, to finish I mean, in the top twenty. Scrambler too. Yeah. Un- oh yeah, he's he's great with the short irons too. He's great around the green and his putting. I'm telling you, he's the best putter on tour right now um well, is tiger right. back or not no i'm kidding we'll, yeah, <laughs> whoa we're getting, we're getting there uh top <laughs> 10 finish i have a long list here okay long All list right. we're gonna start off south of the border abraham answer he's been playing a lot of really good golf right now he is top 12 in the world golf rankings is by far the best year of his career he's a guy who's always had a ton of talent haven't quite seen it all come together he's plus 550 i would say he's probably Last of my rankings of these picks here for the top 10, but I really, really like that, again, compared to the rest of the field. He's a guy, you know, sprinkle a little bit on there. He's a bunch of couple top of 10 shackles, finishes. A huh? couple of top 10 finishes on tour already this season. Uh, I would not have him to win. I wouldn't have him top five. But top 10, there's some decent value. I like Abraham answer. But, again, out of these picks, I'd say he's probably on the bottom. Now, Vito, I have to ask you something. Are you a lefty? course i am i thought so so that's why this next guy who i have ridden in many tournaments and has won me money before brian Harmon. if you don't know the name he's been a really good player on tour for a while another oh. top 30 guy you know i you know why i know the name shout out to brian Harmon in our life uh big boss Harmon is what we call him he's uh when i go to penn state he's my friend jess's dad he owns a place in top trees i go crash there at the at boss's house, Brian Harmon is a legend, bro. And it's destined. a legend. So and he's lefty. Yeah, I'm he's in on this guy. Lefties at Augusta have historically done pretty well. Uh, Mike Weir won it back in the early 2000s. We obviously know Phil's history there. Uh, there's not a ton of really competitive lefties currently on the tour. Brian Harmon is the best of them. Uh, Bubba, certain way, Bubba. Right? We I was gonna say as well. Bubba Watson won twice at Augusta. Phil Mickelson's won what he's four, three, three. No, he's got he's he's got three. Uh Phil's got three. So you got five there between Bubba and Phil. And then you add in Mike Weir, who is a sixth. We're talking about since the year 2000, six lefties have won. Proportionally, there's a hell of a lot less lefties on tour than for it to just be basic random numbers, right? So lefties do have an advantage here. If they're striking the ball well, it's it's something about the way they can kind of shift their shots. I'm thinking mainly, I think it's 13 right at the end of Amen Corner, the big dog leg left, par, four, par five. Um, I, I love Brian Harmon. He's plus 850 to be a top Oof. 10 here. He's played a lot of really good golf, um, and, and I'm a fan. So Brian Harmon, he's one of my guys. 
for Vito. Now, Vito, wow, I, have a, I, have, I have a second one for you. South African guy. Let's go. And Zaria. I knew I knew you would like this guy. Christian Bazindahut All right. is his name. Young kid, been playing really well the last two years on tour in particular. Uh, he's, again, another guy in the top 30. I think they have him right now at, like, high 20s in the goal, uh, golf world rankings right now, or the world golf rankings, however, however it goes. Uh, you can get him for plus 1,400 to Whoa. finish top 10. I love that pick. Send that one. Those would be my two top 10s for Vito there. Uh, which I like. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, and then I have, I have a couple left here. You always have to have a long shot as you get closer up, right? Because the odds get too ridiculous. And there's typically been over the last few years, an older guy who has played his way into conversation. Last year was Justin Rose kind of coming out of nowhere and all of a sudden making a push, right? We've seen it happen. Phil Mickelson a couple, two years ago, same thing. Uh, Tiger, 2019. I don't know. All you have to do is look at Tiger Woods, right? But <laughs> it's, it seems unfair. To, it's a Tiger. It's the greatest golf performance ever. <laughs> Stuart Sink is a guy who Ooh. a lot of people may not know. He I... won at uh, in Hilton Head last year, which is uh, the RBC Heritage Invitational every single year. It's the weekend after the Masters. So it's typically not as strong of comp competitions, and it's a course that you can typically shoot pretty low at. Shotgun to beer on the 18th green when I was in college, NBD. We broke on uh, at late at night. I think the statute of limitations has passed, so I feel comfortable sharing this on the radio or <laughs> podcast. Stuart Sink, plus 2,100 to make the top 10. I'll be honest, there's not any statistical argument really for this year other than I know he's, he's won a tournament on tour within the last year. He's played pretty decent golf. He can still shoot low scores. And all you need him is There's to stick around. <laughs> all you got to do is stick around. If you don't like him at those odds in the top 10, right, or if top 10 seems too much, maybe you sprinkle a little bit on top 20. It's a hard course for older guys because it the wear and tear that goes on onto your body going up and down the hills is exhausting. But Stuart Sink is the old guy that, you know, let's put a couple shekels. Uh, Kevin Kisner again, plus 1,100 for top 10. So the odds are just really good for kids. We're talking I, about I a like top 30 player. Yeah. That's I a wanna, good hedge. I want to put Kevin Kisner in every single bet. Like I love kids. Uh, and then the last one here is a, is a higher ranking player guy who has had a lot of success on the tour. Um, an Asian player, I believe he's Korean Sung J M. You can get him at plus four ninety, plus four ninety there for a top 10 finish. You see him on the top 10 of leaderboards all the time throughout the PGA. Uh, he was in the masters last year. He was mm -hmm. right in it. Yeah, until he, Sunday final. Yeah, on Sunday he kind of fell apart, but he was he was right right on there. Absolutely. Um, so those are my top ten picks, Scotty. At this point, do you have any? I mean, we still have top five and uh, our winners, and I think I'll get to some other guys you might be thinking of. But any other names in the top ten or top twenty that you think we should bring up? Yeah, a couple of guys in the uh, in the top ten and top twenty that uh, that probably weren't mentioned. I love uh, I love HV three. I, I just Barner, absolutely yeah. love the guy Harold Barner the third. His first time playing at Augusta, and I think he his game shapes up really well to to compete. I'm not saying he's going to be a contender. I think he does uh, at at the very least make the cut, and I I think he's good enough to make the top twenty the way he's been playing golf right now. It's then, hard as your as a first timer though. It's really it, it hard is. to it to, is. to play well your first time. But I agree with you. I, I do think his game suits Augusta well. And, and that's why that's why I picked the uh, the second guy on my list that that wasn't mentioned uh, in the 
I'll, I'd even push this to top 10, but definitely top 20 uh, as a guy who's played Augusta really well over the years is, uh, is my buddy, my, my, uh, my paisano, Francesco Malinari. Mm. Uh, and, and I think he, he can do a really good job Thank you. in, uh, in, in playing that course. And, and, uh, and I think the top 20 is, uh, is within grasp. Uh, will, after we, we saw will get the to, meltdown in 2019, yeah. We'll, we'll get to Molinari there in, uh, a little bit later, too, for some super long shots because uh, there's some odds that that kind of blew my mind. But I'm with you there. A bounce back. He has not really fully ever recovered from that run when he won the British Open, uh, <laughs> and he's not really been the same golfer since. But I agree, you know, he's a weapon out there. He's, he's kind of him, Fleetwood, and Varner are probably the three guys that I always – kind of throw money on or, or kind of hoping for and kind of pulling for, and they always seem to come up short. So I'm a little nervous about it, but you know what? I don't hate it. Uh, all right, let's move to top five. Cameron champ. This I'm, is, Oh, go ahead, Scotty. I, was, I have a question is, is how is Bo Hostler ranked? I see FedEx cup ranked 47. Does that mean he's in this? I can't tell if he's in or not. The, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'll see if I, can, I don't, yeah, I don't think he's made the field um damn well anyway if he was or in the future bet on my boy Bo, my boy Bo hostler from santa margarita catholic high school shout out oh wow uh yeah he, <laughs> he's a dope ass dude man uh ho- hope the best for him i he, he had a great year one year where he was playing as like into a major as a amateur and it was sick but anyway i believe it was the masters point is he loves that course if he's playing i'm gonna put him in the top 20 that's all i'm saying he's he's not but oh, hopefully in the dang. future, we'll be able to bet on, on your boy, Bo. Um, oh, yeah. All right, move Next to year five. when we're there, Jeff, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Cameron Champ is my first one. This is a super Ooh. long shot for top five. Dude who can absolutely smash the ball, um, but he's a total streak guy, right? Like, he's gotten hot in one tournament just because he's just he, – when he wins, it's because he's dominating guys, right? Like, he just comes out and has the potential to be, like, one of the best golfers on the tour. I saw that dude hit like a 350 yard three iron off of a tee at a tournament last year that he won. Um, not likely, but again, these are long shots. You want to throw a couple bucks down. Hey, maybe someone like that. His game up to this point probably is not going to tell you that it's going to do much. But again, these are long shots. Kiz, again, top five plus 2300. I love it. I love Kiz. I'm just riding Kevin Kisner as much as I can. Uh, we have another. Vito guy. Don't have to tell you much about this guy, Vito. You know him, Louis Ustazen, another South African. Um, the king of finishing top five in majors without winning. Yeah, he's that is Louis Ustazen. So if you don't have him <laughs> on this list, even though he's not playing at the same level he was last year, he absolutely will be somewhere on the leaderboard there within the first couple of days, and he'll absolutely hang around. It's what he does. Sprinkle, you're getting plus 850 for top this five. close last year. He was right on the sides, man, right on the side. Um, this one, not great odds, but just somebody who I think is kind of due, and I think you can make some money if you pick him to win too. Brooks Kepka. Uh, last, oh, wow. last time we saw Brooksy, he, uh, at the Masters at least, he was on one leg, and he still made the cut on one leg. Um, Brooks is playing really good golf, and it feels like each week one part of his game's been really hot. feels like he's just kind of been right around it. So this might be that perfect moment. He's won the u.s open he's won the pga he still needs the british open he still needs the masters he's looking for the career grand slam i like brooks here uh to maybe finish top five but again the odds aren't great so if you like brooks to win 
I would just say pick them outright to win rather than top five because it's plus 360, so you're not really getting that much value out of it. Yeah, Which, again, outright he's plus 2,000, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, he's just about plus so 2,000. Yeah. So, again, yeah, you're much more likely to get better odds than him just straight up winning. Uh, after that, I do have Victor Hovland. You're getting plus 410 with him. I explained why early on. I like uh, that guy, actually. Yeah, I like Victor Hovland, too. He's a character, and it fe- he hasn't won a major yet, and it feels like he's just been right at the cusp a couple times. He's, One of these young guys is going to break through, and I think this might be his turn, but it could be him. It could be Shoffley. It could be a bunch of different guys who are still waiting on that first major. He's a Viking, man. He's from Norway. Like, he's just he that classic guy who's like, hits the ball. He's like, you see how fucking far it hit that? Fuck yeah. And then he goes up and hits another. Like, I don't know the sport well, but I like that guy. I like his can, energy. Can we create a new nickname for Victor Hovland? So, do you know where he went to college? No. He went to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. No so I think way. we have to call him the Norwegian cowboy. I like that a lot. He's a Norwegian cowboy. Victor. Ho- I'm going to like the rhinestone cowboy. I'm going to find, I'm going to get a Wikipedia subscription or whatever, so I can edit it and put that into his Wikipedia. I Victor, the that. Norwegian cowboy Hovland. Uh, I love, go. I love it. Big fan of uh, Victor Hovland. And then these last two here, um, Zach Johnson. If you're going to take a guy who's won before to make one of these big pushes, who's a little bit older. Dustin. Plus- no, Zach Johnson, plus oh. 3,900 for Zach Johnson to finish top five. I could absolutely see, again, a guy who's won here before. He's won multiple majors. He won the British Open. He's won the Masters. If he gets hot with the putter, it would take him long shot. But, again, if we're talking long shots, Zach Johnson's won this before. He's at plus 3,900. Cameron Champ's never – I think this might be his first year ever playing, and he's plus 3,000. Take Zach Johnson at plus 3,900 there. And, finally – the guy who I'm think is my pick to actually win, Colin Morikawa plus four ten. Dude's on a heater. This is the year of Morikawa. We love him on this podcast. That is our top five, and now we're up to our winners. Before we take our last break, your boy Scotty. We're, we're, let me say this: we're going to break this up into long shots and then realistic. All right, I have. Nine. My boy is Frankie Molinari. I don't know what to tell you. I have eight picks, four long shots, four realistic ones. All right. Three and a half realistic ones. Francisco Molinari, plus 32,000 to win the Masters. Send it. He, he was Put a $3 shot. Down. Put three dollars. Two shots down. had a Tiger in, in the year that he won. And Tiger broke him, which he's done to people yeah. his entire career. He yeah. has taken Rocco Baldelli, right? And all, or whatever. Like, they, oh, yes. Yeah. He has destroyed people's career. Rocco Baldelli for- played for the Tampa Bay Rays. I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the wrong Rocco, but <laughs> I was close enough. He's now the manager of the Twins, I think. Um, Kevin Kisner. I've been making all these cases for Kevin Kisner, right? Rocco yeah. Media. That's to, what it was. Rocco Media. Thank Rocco you. Rocco Media. Wow. I can't believe I said Rocco Ball. Rocco Baldelli was the final strikeout <laughs> when the Phillies won the World Series. Bradley right. shot him down. Um, I love it. Kevin Kisner to win. I've made the case for Kiz. I don't have to say it again. Plus 13,000 for a top 30 player, Kevin Kisner, plus 13,000. This is my favorite bet you can make here. I don't think he's going to win it, but for those odds as a top 30 player with the way he can putt and strike the ball, the cutthroat attitude he's been playing with, he's a South Carolina dude, right? He's grew up an hour, two hours from, from Augusta. I love this at plus 13,000. We I get put $5 to, on worse. I'll tell you that. 
Absolutely. That's another one of my veto bets is for him to win. That's my pick for you for a guy. Because I'm telling you, watch a couple of his videos and you'll love it. You'll love you'll fall in love with kids. Um, Max Homa. I love Max Homa. He's been playing fantastic golf. He got a chance. He played Get uh, last year, had a bat, had a bad round. He's won three times in the last year on tour, Scotty. What are you talking about? Get out of here. His game is set up perfectly. It's just a matter of whether it's hot, his putter's hot or not. I love Max Homa, plus 8,000 odds for Homa. Uh, and then Tyrrell Hatton is another wild card out there. Super streaky. Um, has been playing, again, up and down golf this year, but plus 9,500 for him. Those are my long shots. Again, they're long shots, Scotty. And even still, there's some solid reasoning behind it. Your boy is in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. For my final picks, Sam Burns, currently ranked at 11th in the world golf rankings. Plus 3,900. We've seen him win on tour. I like it, though. It's a trendy pick, sure, but I like Sam Burns. I like it. He's been playing really good golf. Colin Morikawa, probably the worst value we're going to get. Well, no, we're actually, sorry, spoke too soon. Plus (laughs) plus 2,400 here. Plus 2,400. We love Morikawa on this podcast. But Colin Morikawa, I think Colin Morikawa is the best golfer in the world right now. And I, if I'm getting that for him, I think it's worth sprinkling a little on. Justin Thomas. JT has been dreaming of this moment. I read an article today about him and how every single golf course he plays on, if it has a certain shot, a certain angle, he immediately equates to, oh, this is 13 at Augusta. Oh, this is what I do at 10 at Augusta. And we know about JT that he's the best shot shaper on tour. If there's ever a year for him to break through, I think it's this year. And I've grown to really like JT and I hope he gets a major, I hope he gets Augusta because I think it just fits perfectly with him. He's Tiger's guy. Tiger comes back, you know, having him there, it'd be very ceremonious. And of course that leaves us with the big cat in his Sunday red Tiger Woods. Don't even like it. Let's fucking go. This is the bet I'm talking about. Plus 5,000 to win the masters. Yep. Now, realistically, is it smarter to do – Now, realistically, is it smarter to be like, hey, plus top 20, top 10? Yeah, maybe. top 20. I'll bet him on everything. But no, it's it's Tiger, baby. It's Tiger all the way. If he's playing, you can't you can't rule him out. Like, how incredible would it be if one yeah. week – if one week from right now, we're sitting here talking about Tiger Woods winning the fucking Masters? I, I don't I know mean, what I would do. Uh, you know that what sounds I would do? Amazing. I would be spending a lot of money because I'll tell you what, I'm going to put a lot of money on this and I cannot wait. Because <laughs> Vito <laughs> made a ton of money. <laughs> Drinks on Vito. That's right. <laughs> you know that golf round I owe you? It's in Augusta. We're going big time. <laughs> get us on to, uh, yeah, get us on. Don't to even Marion. joke about that. <laughs> get us on hey. to Marion Golf Club at least, you know. That's money cool. does yeah. some crazy feeling. shit. <laughs> oh, man. One day. One day. Mm-hmm. So those are mine. Scotty, I want to give you a so, chance because I know I just talked a lot, so I'm going to give you give you the floor here. I'm going to let you. Well, it's your podcast, so uh, well, it's uh, I don't know what do you, what do you think about uh, <laughs> so what do you think about Rory uh, trying to complete the Grand Slam? I think there's too much pressure on him every time he goes to Augusta now. It's just like I agree, oh, we're going to do this, but I think if we've reached past the point of way of it becoming like a. Like for years, it was the storyline, right? Is is Rory yeah. finally going to do that? There are so many good younger players and so many good players on tour. Period. 
especially when Phil won the PGA last year and Tiger won the Masters in 2019. Yep. It feels like it's always an open season, right? It feels like anybody can win it. And so the pressure I feel like has gone off of Rory from a public perspective, but whether or not in here, the, the 12 inches, six inches between the ears, that's, that's the thing I'm worried what about. What Augusta is. And, yeah. and Rory to me is the, if we're equating this to other sports, Rory is the Kansas of, uh, of this field in the masters. It's you're always there. you finally have a shot at it. Mm-hmm. Can you get over the hump? <laughs> Yeah, I you know what? I actually like Rory this week. Um, you're not getting a ton of value, top 10, not top five. No. I mean, you're looking at like minus odds for top 10 finishes for guys like Rom and Rory. But Rory's played, I think, the best golf so far this year that he's played in the last couple of years. He's drive driving the shit out of the ball. Yeah. His short game, he hit a bunker shot last week that like blew my mind. It was oh on a my down God, slope. Yes. It was just a little chip out and it rolled yeah. down. It was an absolutely gorgeous golf shot. With Rory, it's always going to be how's the putter. You know, we know he can drive. We can drive the shit out of the ball. He's worked a lot on his irons. I've heard in this off season, that's what the rumblings on the tour has been that he's really tried to lock in his, his chipping, his short game around the green and his irons, but he's driving the ball better than he ever has. And so if the putter's good and it's true that the short game and the irons have, have kind of melded together, I think Rory's a great pick. I really, I, and I will yeah. always root for Corey, uh, sorry, for Rory. And the Corey Connors is that, another one, by the way. I love Corey Connors. The, the other one, I, I think that that has put it all together already this year. And uh, I just saw an, uh, an interview with him where he uh, was talking about how, uh, you know, his success, his recent success on the tour, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean it means a lot as as you know in the way of like doing something that's meaningful to you but like at the end of the day it doesn't change you and like you just keep going on tour and like doing uh playing these different tournaments and like winning the masters necessarily wouldn't change your life because it's just another accolade and and you can just throw it on on the on the wall and and you go about your day Mm -hmm. and I, I love that talk. It's a lot of what I love about Justin Thomas in this tournament. Uh, although I think he's playing for a little bit more, but Scotty Scheffler plus 1400 mm, to win. I, I'm all in on that. So I love Scotty Scheffler and I've loved him as a betting guy for basically since gambling has been legal in the state of Virginia, <laughs> I've loved Scotty Scheffler because he's always perpetually undervalued. He's won three out of his last five tournaments. He's not just, he won three out of his last five tournaments. He's the number one golfer in the world right now. And yet he is as humble as like nonchalant as anybody on tour. But even the most humble down to earth people still feel pressure and they still feel the heat. And he's also going to be an incredibly trendy pick and there's going to be a lot of people. So I don't think the value is there for the golfer, but you don't say no to the hot hand. And it's an arguable to say that the dude is not playing the best golf on the earth right now. Right now, wake up. He's probably the best golfer on planet earth. But before this stretch, he had never won on tour. And now he's won three out of his last five. I don't think it's realistic that it could continue. And I also think because he's played so well, the top five, the top 10, the top 20 bets have become all shitty value picks, which is why I don't love him from a gambling perspective. But as a golfer, I love Scotty Scheffler. 
and I'm absolutely behind him. And I would love to see him put on the green jacket. I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's a good call. All right. Masters week. Get ready for Thursday, y'all. I'm so excited. A tradition unlike any other. Tradition unlike <laughs> any other. And like traditions unlike any other, we got random life shit coming up after this break, as well as a new game debuting. Real or fake? The boys will decide next. Wrapping up the pod. Great national championship, assuming. We're still recording this before the game, but again, we're just assuming great national championship. You know the winner at this point. We'll have talked about it. This has been an awesome 100th episode. We've had a ton of fun. I think when we finish this up, we're going to be like, yo, this has been easily one of our favorite episodes to do. And we hope that you guys enjoyed it as well. Thank you again for all the support over the years, year plus, and, uh, and 100 episodes. And, you know, boys, we cheers. love you. Cheers to 100 more. Um, cheers. Cheers. By the way, we all have finished a, our bottle of champagne at this yes. point. So, yes, we, have. we are, uh, we're a little drunk on this episode. Not drunk. I'm with cider. Little, what are you buzz. talking about? Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, YouTube. We're on YouTube now. Sorry, YouTube. It's just cider. Um, I have some random Aren't life Ellie's. things. I got, a, I got some backlogs, random life shit because I just, whenever I see something, I just quickly jot something down and I, I, I edited out some. And then we have a new game called Real or Fake. And we're going to try to do this every once in a while when the right topic comes up to do it on. But we had to, me and my roommate had too much fun doing this the other night when we saw it. So we'll get to that in a second. But random life shit. First one. And I think I actually I've told Scotty about this idea before. Me and my roommate were hanging out one time and we were we were going back and forth. And we were talking about what would be the coolest brewery setup. And I think I cracked it. I think I cracked with the coolest brewery setup. And my first thought was like, imagine a brewery up on the top of like a hill, right? Out in the countryside in Virginia, you get a lot of those. So a lot of the breweries I've gone to look like that. And uh, you have castle a castle on the hill. Castle on the hill. There we go. Shout out to JMU Overtones. Um, and, and you got this great scenic view, right? And you have the thing, you go get your beers and then it's this big open field and then it kind of drops off onto a hill. And I thought, how freaking cool would it be if you set up a par three right off the side oh. of the brewery, right? Little 160 oh, yard, <laughs> right? Yeah, like a little big <laughs> steep drop off, right? You get like, you just, it doesn't have to be super nice, but you put a hole down there, you make a little green, and then you can go and charge, you know, you can go find an old a like, promotional uh, activity. Yeah. You go find like a closing driving range and you, you buy one of the old golf ball pickups. Right. And you, you spend a little side money. You don't have to go super crazy on keeping the greens super nice or anything. Right. And then you go off, you have this little mini driving range, a couple of slots and people are just trying to get hole in ones. Right. People just go up, you spend 15 buck, bucks on, on 20 balls or 25 balls, whatever. You got your beers in hand, you get the music going. And you're just, boom, you're just whacking little shots right on down to the par three. And then if you get a hole in one, you know, you get like free beer for a month or something like that. And you could even do like closest to the hole competitions and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, throughout would, the day. I agree. I just feel like uh, you, you make it in, you get some kind of reward. And I would spend so much money. I would easily pay for whatever the reward was in oh, golf yeah. balls. You're right. Like that's a. That is a brilliant idea. Where is That's that? It's maker. not top golf. Let's be clear. It's different. It's classier. It's like a real green. You just have a guy whipping around every like 20 minutes in the, the ball pickup. Man. Right. You just go That'd get some shitty so practice fun. range balls. You got to find like a local, like uh driving range. That's closing. 
Yeah. And then you just go and you're like, yo, let's just load everything up. Right. And then, and then you just buy all their shit, the little ball retriever. Especially like a winery, man. Yeah. There's so much potential there. Now a more expansive idea that I had off of this was what if you made three par threes around like the, the, the side of it, right? It's hard to do it without being able to picture it, but like you're looking out and you have this beautiful view and it goes down a hill and then you have like three holes that kind of take you around the outside of the property. And then it brings you back. And then you, yeah, you know, you, and then you wind back up at the, uh, at the bar. That's what <laughs> I mean. And then you come back and you're drinking again. And it's walk only. You just walk over there. No big deal. Yeah. yeah you get them to get some pitching wedges and putters. If you want to bring your own, you can, but I, but, you know, top golf way too expensive. I would do that over top golf any day of the week. I would do that over well, top golf. It's more of an event. Of price just because it's, it's more fun to play a hole out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause in that one, you would play it out, but if you're hitting it off, it would almost be like a driving range onto a par three. So that would be a little top golf esque, but at least you have like a hole and it's a it's green. A and green. Yeah, yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. And you maybe have a buddy who like used to work at a golf course or something. You got to do some research and figure it out, but I think golf. it'd be, I love I this. golf course management, Penn state, hire, hire one of us. Boom. PGM. There you go. Uh, I love Feli. this and also model it after famous par threes around the world. Yes. That'd be like sick. the seventh at pebble. As you can do seven at Augusta, I mean, that's the, yeah, like you know, yeah, I think. Sick. All right, so we're all on board with that. Uh, the next one I had, so there's a local bar that I bartended at. I've done some work with uh, really nice people. It's called the Casual Pint. Shout out the Casual Pint. I had a moment there because I know one of the managers, and they're always like, "Man, I don't have like music really to like." We're always like cycling through. We don't have a good playlist. Well, your boy has a like 500 song playlist that has every genre imaginable. So about a year ago, I tell them about this playlist. Now, every time I'm there, they're playing my playlist. So is there a better bar setup than being able to go there, sit at a bar, watch a game, and your own music is playing at the bar? There's nothing better. That's the number one complaint I have when I go out. Dude, are you kidding me? You cracked the goddamn code. Mm -hmm. I... I, you know how many how many dollars I spend? Those stupid, yeah, the touchdowns. Oh my god! Any yeah, bar I'm, in, I'm, like, I'm <laughs> taking over for the next fucking hour. No one speak. No one say anything. I'm paying to skip you. I don't give a fuck. Like I, and then other I people can skip your music. shit too. Oh like, my god! You know, we, yeah, I'll be like, well, war. I was waiting for Rosalita. Now they just skip. You know what I mean? You don't. Even oh have yeah, to do like it. for me, it was oh, uh, tell the, the night story Britney about Spears got freed. And so um, we all played Free Britney. We were going in. So we walk in. It's Britney, bitch. Bum, 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 bum. And like we walk in, we're into it. <laughs> we, we blast all this stuff. We're skipping this group song. And they, I saw it because I skipped it. And they were playing like full ACDC, Aerosmith. Like they were there for a good old school time. And we ruined their fucking night by playing early 2000s Britney Spears. It Jeff, was tell majestic. About Tell them about the Meek Mill story. <laughs> oh my God. With that, with is... that playlist. <laughs> so I asked my buddy to come on, right? And the one thing about this playlist is it is my playlist. So it's not kid friendly necessarily. Yeah. So the bartender happens to be from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is the same area I grew up in. She grew up about 15, 20 minutes away from me. And my buddy and I, we went, I think we played disc golf or we'd met up for a beer. We hadn't seen each other in a while. And we're sitting there and it's super busy. It's like a Saturday afternoon at like six o'clock. So it's super busy. And this place again is like, it's like a brew bar. It's like not a brewery, but it's just a craft beer bar. And then they have some like bar food. Okay. I'm sitting at a high top and the place is packed. And then all of a sudden I hear the, ain't this what you've been waiting for? You ready? Right. 
So I'm like, in my head, I hear that and I get hyped because it's Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is the, the, oh, the manager slash bartender is also from Philly. And after that first second of, oh yeah, I get hyped, it's the song, to realizing, oh my God, there's about 10 children in this bar and Meek Mill is about to drop every single curse word that exists in the lingo's language here. Hold up. Wait a minute. And, and also we'll get everyone else so hyped that every adult here will also do the same. So so me and, and the bartender, while she's running around, we both make a beeline to the iPad, which is their like cash register, that is also controlling the music. And we just happened to meet there because we no both way. knew we were like, we can't have this with children running around the park. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's one thing if like a, a casual curse word comes in, but that song, as much as I love it, is not kid friendly. And yeah. at like five or six o'clock, you know, an early summer night on a Saturday, <laughs> as much as I love That's it, great. I'm not going to put kids through that. That's great. So, one of my favorite stories. Unbelievable. Yeah. Jeff. Uh, What's next it. on your docket? Next on the list. <laughs> for, uh, for um, Scotty, this one won't apply as much to you because you're married and you're, you're out of the dating oh. cycle. But, but Vito, I'm curious, and you can obviously share your opinion too. True. But Vito, I've been on dating apps. You know, I still might have a couple active on my phone. Every once in a while, you'll scroll through the dating apps. Grinder. And <laughs> love is love. And all of a sudden, you'll see two girls that'll be like, we're roommates and we're on here together and we're looking to double date. And I'm not trying to poo-poo it. Everyone deserves love. Everyone deserves to find somebody. However you can make it happen, make it happen, right? But I genuinely want to know, has there ever been a happy couple that met with two roommates meeting two other guy roommates? Because if two hit it, if, if, mm. if one couple hits it off, then immediately it's going to be awkward for the other ones. If you meet up with one of them and then the other one's interested in your roommate and, verse, and vice oh. versa then you're doing a whole nother awkward thing. I can't imagine the success rate for this is high situation. at all. <laughs> well, I actually think that your points make it that it is successful, just not in the conventional way. I feel like mm. you're exactly what you said. You also, not only do you have one date, you have two dates and both are people are with someone that is comfortable with them. So instantly they're going to be a little looser, a little more fun. And you can be too, because your bro's there and you're like, hey, after this, fuck it. If this sucks, like we're going back, we're drinking, we're playing cart. Like we're going off whatever you got to do. But the point is, is that when you're out there, I bet you they're more loose, they're more fun. And let's say you don't hit it off with the person you're with and your roommate doesn't hit it off with that person. Maybe you just swap people and start talking. Like it, there's no big deal. I feel like early on in dating apps, there's no hard feelings. If you meet up with someone and you're just like, we're very different people, right? Yeah. Like, like we are very different and you know what? That's cool. Like I thought I knew you, whatever. It's not a big deal. No hard feelings. I actually like the efficiency of this. Okay. And I wish it works out. I hope it works out. I've never done it. I've never gone on one, but it's uh, inspiring to me. So you're saying it's like, it's like being, it's like the first date equivalent of like swingers. Kind of. Yeah. It's like, you're just going to go in. It's not like like speed dating. So speed dating is like a, um, something I won't say version of a first date. But the point is, is that like, if you're going to go out and see a, like, a bunch of people that's really quick you don't get to see much or like to have two people there that's pretty good i actually like I that just, and I then just, you gotta spend like money on two bus. dinners it's, it's like, like the next thing. bus from back in the day yeah, but then on how MTV. does the second date work like what if both couples hit it are you are you stuck then doing double dating do you have to branch no. off you, you, but what you if, will what if you, you will like, naturally 
what if you have a like what if one first date goes great and then the other one goes terribly mm-hmm. and then like the other one goes great and they want to see each other again but the other one's like no fuck that person that was a terrible first date but then you're kind of stuck seeing each other again but that's because because cool. your friends are dating and then all of a sudden it's like well i hate their friend and then it's just i'm not saying it's impossible right, i'm just saying story. it feels kind of awkward the first blind date ever when i was in high school um and i remember seeing this girl and we hung out uh but I hadn't seen, let me put it this way. I did not know her beforehand. I went on a legit blind date. Uh, my girl, Carrie Ann set it up, Carrie Ann Casey, shout out. And we went to this bar and we realized we were exact opposites. We were not getting along. There's no way. Right. Like we actually like, I don't dislike most people in the world and I don't dislike her by any means, but we just like instantly knew like we butt heads on almost everything. I see her two and a half years later at Ohio state, I grew up in Southern California. So this was a surprise. I'm in Ohio state. I'm walking across campus. I'm with my boy, Luke and his family. And this girl's yells Vito. And I turn and look, and it's this girl who I went on a blind date with. And it went awful. And guess what? We had so much fun that day. We were much later in our lives. We were all that stuff. And my point is, is that even that happened with a girl who I was hanging out with and my guy friend was hanging out with and they were dating and we met and we saw each other after, and it wasn't weird. It wasn't that bad. Right, I think. Right. I think. I think it's you've worth convinced the risk the cynical, for success. You've you've cured the cynicism in my <laughs> in my heart on that one, Vito. Maybe it's just a cynicism towards dating apps altogether, because I, I typically am not a big dating apps guy. Um, all right, uh, this is a quick one. I was watching ESPN. I, I to be honest, I don't know when I wrote this down. It, I think it might have been an NBA game or something. And there was a commercial that was like a LeBron esque. Like, you know, like LeBron, if, if there's an ad for him with Nike, it's all dramatic and it's big. And then at the end, it's like, just do it. And it's LeBron like dunking or something. Right. But it was for Jesus. And it was, it was oh, like, do you I know what this I'm commercial. talking about? It is yeah. the most absurd commercial I've ever seen. It's like, imagine if he, like somebody didn't uh, care about like what your like life was like before, what your beliefs were. Uh, and, and, and the other people just like decided to hate and it was like, and it was a Jesus converse. It was, Oh, it was bizarre. I was, was caught back by it. It was so bizarre and it was super intense and it was weird. And the only thought that came to mind is not like, Hey, it's wrong or that anything, it, whatever, believe what you believe. And I don't, I don't care about that. Why does Jesus need a commercial to make him more popular? Isn't he like inarguably the most famous Jesus. person? Yeah, but isn't he arguably the most famous person in the world? Isn't Christianity is. the most like recognizable? Uh, Jordan. Well, I would say this. No, Jesus is this. by far the most famous person in human history. Yeah, Over Michael, huge, I don't know. He was back Absolutely. in the in like the word, like basically like the spoken word gossip circles. Eventually, to like you know when the paper press was made, he never got Jesus marketing he deserved. Up. No, Jesus blew up when the when the paper press was made. Don't get me wrong, but like after that, like is he on social media? I don't know. I don't, I can't tell you how many times posts I've seen from great follow on Twitter. Yeah. And I guess the point is maybe he does need some new cred. I I'm glad someone's out there. This is where the Vatican should be spending some money. You know, let's get some new age commercials during NBA finals during super bowls. (laughs) Uh, Oh, trust me. The Vatican has enough that you just need to to get out there. And, and you know what, Jeff, that's a good point. We should see more Jesus commercials. Uh, because even though he's popular, I think his reputation is that. Be of, careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, no, it's a guy who wore sandals back in the day and was like, "What up? I'm I'm here. I'm right I'll turn to wine when I'm 30, and then you'll hear from me for a couple of years." And I'm. And out. that was kind of so, the gist of the commercial. It's like, 
this dude was just like chill and like cared about everyone. So in yeah. case you're wondering, at Jesus on Twitter is Jesus Christ in his bio. It's it Kanye says, West. It says Carpenter, <laughs> Healer, God. Right? I heard a Underneath joke it. one time. 766,000 followers Oof, following zero it. people. I mean, what does that have to tell you about Jesus? He clearly, yeah. if he really loved us, he would follow us no, all back. Yeah, he would follow He's not back. an influencer. <laughs> also, uh, I heard a joke one time. <laughs> this is kind of true. It's like, dude, if Jesus was a carpenter till he was 30, how come no one fucking kept his work? Like, it must have been really bad As a if it was like, well, like, dude, I don't know. We kept a lot of shit from back in the day in the Roman times. And it's like, maybe it burned. Yes, no, maybe we should have kept all of Jesus's work. He was kind of like a savior or like, but then the point was like, or is he just kind of shitty at carpentry? And they're like, nah, this table's a little unlevel. It, We're just going to buy it from Jesus to make him feel good. Yeah. I'll be honest. I just looking through some of his tweets right now are pretty hilarious. Someone tweeted at Jesus. What shots are we doing? This is on Christmas Eve, by the way, <laughs> at Jesus. What shots are we doing at midnight? Need to know what to eat first. See you later, Jay. His response spiked nog, two birds, one stone. <laughs> Jesus would it be sounds a like I, it sounds I like I that. need to follow Jesus on Twitter now. God damn it, maybe this is yeah. the key. All right, we got two more, two, two more random life shit. Uh, and I, this one involves a question for both of you. So you guys know the story, and I might have mentioned it on the pod when I was down at the beach, but I got to the beach house a couple weeks ago and I go out for a walk and I hang a hard left, and about a hundred yards down the sh- down the stretch is a fucking seal beached at the Jersey Shore. Now, this thing was as cute as hell, right? I, I get why they call them like sea pups because holy crap, might have been cuter than any dog I've ever seen. So my question to you guys hey, is, well, what was what was the most wild, and Vito, seeing as you've been to Africa a bunch and stuff, you might have a different answer, but what was the most, because to me, that was probably the most wild slash intimate moment I ever had one-on-one with like an animal like that, you know, and it's a seal, like we're not even talking about anything crazy here. Do either of you guys have a story here involving a wild animal? that you just happened to stumble across and then had this cool one-on-one moment with. I mean, the, the one that jumps out is one time it wasn't alone, but we were in this like RV and a rhino came and just started ramming the tires on our side because like, it, that's what it does to like scratch Fucking its God. head and it just like rams you. And you're like, like shaking violently. And this is in South Africa. This is like mid COVID outbreak, by the way, this is like March of 2020. This is like, as it was happening. Yeah. As it was happening. We're like, Oh, you know, what more outside can you do than a goddamn safari run? And and this thing's just slamming into us. And the other one, I'd say it's most beautiful, by the way. If anyone gets the chance, it's microscopic life, but bioluminescence in, in oh, yeah. California. I was at a uh, actual, uh, it was at Catalina. Fucking Catalina Wine Mixer. Catalina it was at Catalina. Mixer. It was a seventh grade science camp. Um, and you would we did night snorkeling. And you would swim and move your arm. And right in front of your arm, like trailing behind it would be like neon green. It looked like like if you've ever been at a rave, it's exactly where you would want a rave to be. Like it was so fun to see and it was beautiful. It was honestly the most beautiful thing. That's so those awesome. two things of like the encounters with nature are mine. What about you, Scotty? Uh I've been noodling, like you know that like where you you go to the water and you stick your hand in and, and you try to fish just with like your, your Oh, arm like and for the, catfish and the, stuff, and you yeah, stick yeah. it into the box no and way. then yeah that yeah. would that would give me extreme anxiety and oh i don't mind forever. that it felt, i'll share it this on the pod nice, i've shared this on national radio so i might as well share it on the pod too i have a, a pretty bad and severe phobia of fish so oh yeah, really that, that one yeah well i'll never ask you to go fishing no please well i that's the weird thing i like fishing 
as long as someone will take the fish off the the, the hook for me. I, I, you, I can't can't you. do it. But I physically I love the act of fishing, which is yeah, it's yeah. which is such a bizarre. Oh, I just can't. drinking beer. That's what I, I had this. I had this thought when I was a kid. Like I remember being like eight years old and having this thought that like me pulling a fish out of water and holding it up and being like, fuck yeah, look at this fish is like the same thing as if like a giant hand came down out of nowhere and picked me up and held me underwater. And someone was like, dude, look at this fucking human I caught. Like, that's how like my, as an eight-year-old minus the curse words, like that's kind of like where no, my brain went. That's and Did you guys remember master hand from like playing super smash on yeah, 64? Super smash. Yeah. I'm not kidding. That's Jeff, that exact relation. I was like, dude, this is just the hand. Like, that's why I actually just always catch and release unless I go yeah. to cook it whenever, like, if it's big enough and I'll eat it that night. Cause I just don't feel like holding a fish. That's like going to, I always like kill it right away. I don't know. I don't deal with that stuff. Like I don't like that part of it, but what I do love without a doubt is like that act of it. Yeah, and then also the fight just knowing, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's fun. super fun. Like that's what but, I mean. Like fishing is super fun. I went fly fishing before that's amazing. Mm. Um, but yeah, just if I'd caught, like I remember <laughs> I was at the beach house and my dad and I were surf fishing, which is great. You're right on the beach there. And my dad's like, all right, I'm going to head in. And I was like, I was having fun. And I was like, the thought occurred to me a little bit later on, like, what shit, like, what so? if I caught like a sand shark? <laughs> I'm like, I had to have a knife with me where I'd just be like, nope, cut the line and get the hell out of the water. Because sand sharks get caught all the time at Jersey Shore. Um, all right, last one, super quick. <clears throat> the other night I was at Giant. Some dude rolled up, parked in a handicap spot without a handicap sticker. He was like 20 years old. Saw him get out of his car. I was in a rush, so I didn't say anything. But I got in the car and I went, should I have said something there? What do you do if yeah. you see somebody? Do I hate that like guy. That? I hate that guy. It was a wide like open parking lot. It was at like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, like he could have parked it, anywhere. It's just the entitlement of it. Like, get out of here with yeah, that. Like, yeah. Dick move. Dick move. I think not only like it's a weird situation, right? Because <clears throat> getting into the real deal. Do you wait around to see something? And, and I feel like what you always do is a drive-by, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and just be like, was it bad? You know? Yeah. Like, it was it like one of those things where it's like, oh, you accidentally like tapped them, right? Not a big deal. Or like you no, crunched. But we live body. in a society. <laughs> no, my yeah. point is, is whether you wait around or not. Yeah. where is the line where you wait around or not to tell someone because i'm with you jeff i like I, uh, if there's not body damage i'm like listen this sucks well he didn't hit somebody he just parked in a handicapped spot oh i'm sorry i thought you said he hit someone no next he no 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 he just parked in a handicapped spot without a handicap stick <laughs> listen that guy sucks yeah right thank you i i i <laughs> think that it's legal I, it's legal to get fined right i think it's like 350 dollars yeah. minimum I feel like also the police should just be like, and anyone who slashes your tires, it's legal. Sorry. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you get you what's If your this? car gets keyed, then yeah, you, you've deserved yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, key, because slash the tires, we actually want you to move, so we don't want you to stay there. But yeah, you can take off both side mirrors and key the car on both sides. Maybe crack the back window. You know, like the back right window, that's like not that important, really. Unless you're if like it's a van, yes. If it's a van, yes. <laughs> Other a two seater, you can't do it. Can't no, do it. We can't no. do it. No. All right. Yeah. No. It's it just like I was walking out, and it was one of those things where I had walked past him as he was getting out of his car. But if I had been like thirty seconds before, 
I totally would have said something and been like, dude, hey, man. what are you like, what are you doing? <laughs> but then I also think like, well, what is that gonna solve? Am I gonna change that guy's mind? So it's like, do you just say the moral thing? And is that selfish to make myself feel better? Or you know, it was so, no, so I was just Catholic curious. guilt, Jeff. I just Catholic went guilt. Catholic guilt back to the Catholic guilt. All right. All right. <laughs> to wrap up the pod, new game. Real or fake? This was spawned about a week ago, as we've teased on the pod for the last week uh, or so. Uh, a band I saw called Mime Rock was playing this venue called uh, Otto's Bar. Shout out to Otto's Bar up in Baltimore. Great show, but they're like an indie, like pop punk, a uh, pop punk band, right? Like if they were in, if they came out in like 2007 or 2004, they'd be undeniably, their music is so good, they'd be like a world famous band. They really are that good. Now you're speaking my language. <laughs> But in today's day and age, it's become like indie music, right? So it's a small venue. It max holds like maybe 100, maybe 150 people. But we saw a flyer on the wall that had upcoming events. And some of the band names on there were just ridiculous, right? The band we saw was called Mom Rock, right? Already a hilarious name. So I decided I'm going to take three of the names because I took a picture of the flyer of all the upcoming artists. I'm going to take three of the most ridiculous names I could find on there. And then I was going to make up three other ones. And I want to see whether you guys get real or fake. All right. So how do you guys want to do this? Do you guys want to go one at a time? And then we'll, I'll tell you whether it's real or fake. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do one, right. one band name at a time. Let me and Vito decide. All right. Yeah, let's do that. First band. Number one, proper nouns, real or fake. Real. That's fake. It's real. Proper nouns. Real band. Ah. How about it? Proper a real band. Like that sounds like a real. Yeah, that's that's got that vibe. Proper noun. Like what a ridiculous. <laughs> Nominal <laughs> adjectives. Like what's next? <laughs> All right. Band number two. Desks. Sorry. Desktop unicorn. Fake. I feel like I should tell Vito, but I'm gonna fade him. That one. That one's real. That is fake. Desktop Unicorn is not a real band. Sounds so mainstream. Sounds so mainstream. Vito's going to be way better at this game than I am. He's already got a 2-0. He's got a 2 lead right now. Uh, All right. Next up. Shoe Polish polish Cousins. Fake. That one's real. That is fake. Vito, 3-0. Crushing this. All right. Soundbar, sorry, soundbar shot glass. That has to be real. I, I'm feeling real as well. That is fake. Uh, Vito, no so longer undefeated. Against my I'm over. <laughs> All right, next up. Sloth Rust. Yeah, it's real. It's real, <laughs> clearly. That is a real band. That is a real band. Sloth <laughs> Rust, an absurd. Sloth Rust? It's still a ridiculous name for a band. But see, the thing is, is here's the deal. Creative people can't like creative people come are in bands and they come up with creative band names. And so I feel like the crazier ones, you're like, that can't be fake. Like it's so good. I don't know. Desktop unicorn's pretty ridiculous. And yet you sniff that red one. hot chili peppers. That's what? good. It's a good point. That's all right. Really good one. Last one. Mustard plug and cat bite. Yeah, it's real. It has to be real, just based on my record, but yeah. That's a stupid name. That is a real band, and that is an actual name. That somebody <laughs> That's <loved>. wild. <laughs> Mustard Plug and Cat Bite. What an absurd, absurd name. 
Um, that is all we have. Super long pod, but it's the hundredth episode, so we went long. I can't say again enough how thankful we are for you guys tuning in, listening with us, coming along for a ride. We hope yes. you like the YouTube stuff. Subscribe, uh, rate, review, all that stuff for the podcast, and and share the YouTube channel out. Uh, I know a lot of people nowadays like watching podcasts as yeah click the (laughs) bell get the bell on um people like watching podcasts as much as like listening to it i know i feel that way with some pods as well um but again just i cannot say thank you enough and i know you guys feel the same way yeah man super fun and and it's been a fun ride it's it's been a really fun ride and and to to hit the 100th episode on national championship night of nc2a basketball which is one of my favorite events uh, of the entire year is the tournament and then on master's week too like we couldn't have planned this any better and and we didn't plan it like it was just like a matter of coincidence and I, i'm just super grateful for everybody that stuck around and listened and gave us the opportunity to get to 100 episodes couldn't agree more couldn't agree more Vito. any parting words for the listeners as we wrap up the 100th episode love you guys um like love all the listeners love jeff love scott this has been a blast and I can't wait to get to 200. We're going to keep going. We're not stopping. Oh, yeah. Now. Here's to another 100 episode. Thank you for everybody who's listened. This has been so much fun. And the best, as they say, is yet to come. We got better, bigger, awesome things coming. Um, and hopefully, maybe we just need to rename the pod Mustard Plug and Catbite. I think, I think that's <laughs> Mustard be- Mustard yeah. plug. We'll do Mustard a we'll do like a cross. I'll, maybe I can get them on the pod. We can ask them where they came up with the name. Um, but we're gonna do that with some other stuff. I think maybe craft beers in the future. Come up with some funny ones, real or fake. Uh, but nonetheless, super fun. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back on Friday with episode one hundred one. What a wonderful tournament! Enjoy the Masters. Get your bets in before Thursday. I'm telling you, uh, there's money to be made. any other. For the boys. I'm Jeff. We love you. We thank you. Take it easy, everybody.